Kaminsky's uh, doing his job for his team by getting good players off the ice. But to me, Kaminsky's, he's started a riot here. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-Card, wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Welcome back or welcome aboard. Either way, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Joe Lazito. So welcome to episode 54, actual episode 71. Uh, I will go into the origins of this episode and this new sub-series of the show uh, in a few minutes. But first, I'd like to introduce you to my sponsors. Nobody. Nobody is sponsoring me. And you know what? Maybe that's for the best. I don't want to have to answer to anybody. But no, of course not. That was a joke. I was being a silly goose. No sponsors yet, and that's okay. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, so be it. I don't know. I just want to throw you off a little bit because I know some of you fast forward through the intro, and I can't understand why. But if you are a listener to this show and enjoy the content and you're not already, could you please subscribe to the show? Could you like rate and review the show? Doesn't have to be a book. It could be one word. It could be two words, two sentences. Um, all of the uh, likes and the ratings and the reviews help uh, give the show a wider presence across all the podcast platforms. So it would definitely help me out. And if you're a fan of the show and would like to see it grow, uh, I would appreciate it. Uh, I know I say that a lot, but yeah, I would, I would definitely appreciate it. If you don't mind, uh, that would be great. Uh, if you're on social media, as always, you can follow my personal Twitter account at Joe underscore Lozito and at Kali Sinbin pod for the show Twitter account on Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast and on Instagram Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. All of that stuff uh, for the, the so all of the social media accounts for the show, basically all Islander Enforcer based stuff. Uh, for instance, I am recording this uh, intro on Monday, June twenty first, because I took yesterday off for Father's Day, and uh, I knew that nobody would notice. But um, I'm recording it today at uh, at six twenty one, and where was I going with this? Oh yeah. <laughs> 
dementia setting in. Um, today, I posted about Bob Bourne, uh, Bob Bourne's birthday. So uh, that's the kind of stuff you'll get on there. And, um, you know, birthdays and, and fight pictures and little fight nuggets from uh, Islander enforcers, uh, organizational enforcers. So um, is it stuff you can live without? Of course, most of social media is stuff you can live without. But why would you want to? Really, especially if you're listening, it's sort of like one goes with the other. So definitely give me a follow. Give me a like. I will return the favor in kind. Um, I have merchandise. So if you're interested in viewing the merchandise, scroll down slightly in the episode description of the very platform you're listening to. And you will see two links. One link is for the original merchandise and one link is for the alternate logo merchandise and you have pretty much the same variety of uh same selection why can't i can't i speak this morning you have the same selection t-shirts tank tops um onesies kids items i don't know anyone who really needs a hoodie right now or a sweatshirt especially here on long island it is muggy as hell today but maybe you want to stock up for the winter uh maybe you're taking a trip to Alaska. I don't know, but those are available also. I did try to make hats, but uh, it tells me the logo has too many colors. So I don't know if anyone has had luck making hats uh, with a company that's not too expensive and uh, doesn't limit the number of colors in the logo. That would be great. I'd also love to make shorts, but I'm having difficulty getting reasonably priced shorts. I can find a company to make shorts, but they're asking for an arm and a leg and, and the quality. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to put something out there and you're going to buy shorts for whatever the dollar amount and uh, the quality is going to suck. So, uh, so I don't want to do that either. But if anyone has had luck with hats or shorts, uh, please let me know. Cause I would love to put that out there on the market. And uh, if you ha- are, the <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me today. If you're a returning listener, you know that every episode I offer a listener-exclusive discount. The discount code today and for the next week is KILLER20. Now, if you did not see my graphic on social media, you're wondering, what does KILLER20 have to do with anything? Well, I'll get to that in a moment. Use KILLER20 for any item or items in the merchandise store, and you will receive 20% off for the next week. So have at it. Get those tank tops. Ladies tank tops, men's tank tops, uh, gender fluid, I guess you would pick one. I don't know. I, I never read the rule book on that, so I'm not sure. But uh, whatever you are or consider yourself, there is something in the merchandise store for you. So, um, yeah, have a look. And when you go to those merchandise stores, you're going to see my logo, which was done by artistic genius and local Long Island artist Joe Marisich. Joe Marisich is the man. You've seen his work. You know you have, especially if you're an Islander fan. You've seen it. Joe is available for hire. Get him on Twitter, at GraphicsJoker. Get him at LoudEgg.com. Reach out to Joe. Tell him you love his work. You want to hire him, and you'll work it out. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. I'm flying through this intro today. Imagine if I wasn't making so many goddamn mistakes. But anyway, before I recorded this, I listened to the Fourth Line Voice podcast. Darren, my friend up in Saskatoon, his latest episode, which was released yesterday, uh, his Sunday shit show episodes. Um, 
just to give you an example, basically what uh, what Darren does on Sundays is, I don't know if during the week he makes notes. I think he said he keeps a pad in his truck and he'll just jot down notes of stuff that he wants to talk about. And um, it really, the episodes, I know sometimes he's not thrilled with them. I love them because basically what happens is Darren talks about stuff that's happened during the week and 99 no, 999 out of 1,000 times, I agree with everything he said. Probably 1,000 out of 1,000, but I'm not sure. But, you know, even when he's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. And I always say, look, I, I laughed my ass off. They were great. Uh, the episode I listened to today had uh, a lot of good stuff in it. Uh, he talked about the whole Barnaby, Sean Avery thing, um, that they, they're looking to fight or something. And some, I don't know if it's boxing or bare knuckle stuff. And, uh you know, I, I used to talk to Matt Barnaby a little bit when he was playing. I met Sean once or twice. And uh, you know what? I, I will say this about Sean Avery. There's a lot of rumors out there about this guy. I would never repeat them. I don't know how valid they are, and it's really none of my business. But uh, I will say Sean Avery has balls because if, if the stuff that's out there is even remotely true, um, you know, I give him credit for, for not changing his ways. I mean, he's he's himself. and. I don't know if those rumors, what exactly would, if anything, would change in his in his career. But I give the guy credit because there's some pretty graphic stuff out there. But um, I'm not really a Sean Avery fan. I, I think, um, you know, I respect part of his game. I don't, as a person, like I said, I met him once or twice. He was a good guy when I met him. Maybe a couple of minutes. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of his antics are to draw attention to himself. And, um, you know, so I don't hate Sean Avery like a lot of people do, but he's just another person out there. Um, I, like I said, I spoke to Matt Barnaby quite a bit back in the day. Um, you know, good guy to me. Can't complain. Probably wouldn't remember me from Adam, but, um, you know, if those two guys were to fight, I, I would definitely have to, uh, have to go with Matt Barnaby on that one. Even if you just look at their fight cards, I mean, Matt Barnaby was fighting, Redwoods most of the time he's a smaller guy in the fight and whether you like him or not you, you got to give him that I, I like him but even if you don't you got to give him that so uh, but Darren goes into it a little bit more uh, he also uh, at the end of the episode someone had sent him a list of I think the top 15 worst enforcers of all time and and I like what he did he didn't read it beforehand so you actually get his real reaction as he's going through it and um I mean, first of all, I don't really care for lists about enforcers that are worst because, oh, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. If if an, an enforcer who did the job makes a list of worst enforcers, I give it some validity because they did the job. But no enforcer worth their salt is going to make a list like that because even if it's guys they don't like, they respect the job that they did. I don't know what Pinhead made this list. I think he said who did it. But, I mean, one of the guys on his list, a spoiler alert, Sandy Moger, who was never an enforcer. And, um, you know, he does list some guys on the list who could be, um, you know, maybe weren't your upper echelon enforcers. But again, this is a guy behind his keyboard making a list of guys who actually fought and did the job. And he's being critical of whatever it is, their style or, or he didn't like and, I don't know. That always rubs me the wrong way when when you get these lists by these people and they really don't know what they're talking about. And I guarantee you they have never, ever been in a fight their whole life. But 
Uh, Darren makes it interesting. He definitely does. He adds his commentary to it. And, um, you know, the episode, I think it was about an hour. And I love his Sunday episodes. I would definitely, definitely recommend listening to this. I mean, listen, listen to all his episodes. On Wednesdays, Darren does player interviews. On Sundays, he does the Sunday shit shows. And what he's been doing now is when he doesn't have um, the full-length interviews, can be quite lengthy. Um, he does the top five toughest opponents on some of the guests that he's had. And those are really interesting because even he says it, chances are they've touched on this in the long-form interviews, but now they get into a little more detail. So I really enjoy those episodes. Look, I listen to... I've tried. I've tried to listen to about... 20 podcasts in my life and there are probably five or six that I don't ever miss an episode. There are a bunch of them where I subscribed and I had to stop subscribing because I think they're hot junk. They're garbage. Um, Darren's podcast is right up there with my favorites. And uh, as soon as they come out at, you know, beginning of the week, it's usually the first one I listen to. So I wouldn't tell you to listen to him if he didn't know his stuff and if, and if his podcast sucked, it doesn't. There are a lot of podcasts out there that claim to be fight podcasts, and, you know, you can tell. I mean, I'm sure if the enforcers actually listen to it, they know probably within 10 minutes whether they know their stuff. And Darren's podcast, he is well-respected amongst fight community members, be it fans or ex-players. So, um, you know, definitely give all his episodes a listen. He has a tremendous back catalog. And, um, you know, he's a good dude. So definitely give him a listen. Um, one thing that this guy probably did when he made his list of the top 15 worst enforcers was watch one or two fights of each guy on YouTube. And if it, if that is what he did, chances are he was on the fourth line voice YouTube channel. That's Darren's YouTube channel over 2,500 fights on there. Uh, easily sortable. You can search by player, by league. Uh, by team, I mean everything. He makes it very simple. Uh, and like I always say, chances are if you have watched the fight on YouTube, chances are it is on the Ford Line Voice YouTube channel. So subscribe to that. Watch some fights. You know, like I said, today on Long Island, it's muggy as fuck. It's disgusting. Stay in your AC, listen to Fourth Line Voice podcast, and then go watch some fights on his YouTube channel. Another podcast I want you to consider listening to, although he hasn't put an episode out in a week or so, and I'm surprised because his Montreal Canadiens are doing pretty well. I mean, last night they lost in overtime, so the series is tied. But the Bucket Drop podcast with my friend Bobby Longgrass, uh, his episodes are quick, maybe 15, 20-minute episodes, basically touches on uh, Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto. He'll talk about betting. He'll talk about combat sports. And uh, usually he's doing it while he's working. He's driving in his truck. Or uh, I think one or two episodes he actually recorded while he was on his boat to uh, maybe showing off or something, but sounds very peaceful out there. Bobby's a good dude. Definitely uh, give his podcast a listen also. And I'm just going to remind you, the Five for Fighting podcast is coming back at some point with my pal Alec Olin Salen down in Florida. Uh, I'm not sure when. He posted a picture recently of, of him watching uh, maybe fights or sports or something with his feet up. He probably had a uh, – well, no, he did not have a beer in his hand. He's – probably four or five months sober now, I think, or I, I could be completely wrong. I don't even know, but he's definitely, uh, he's definitely sober. He's not drinking. Maybe he had a root beer or milk in his hand, but he looked very relaxed. So I don't know when, but when the five for fighting podcast comes back, please give that a listen. 
Finally, along these lines, you've heard me talk about Steve's GoFundMe to bring back a bigger, better, better drop your gloves. Steve was given a final figure of $10,000 to get this thing going. And finally, it has surpassed $5,000. It started off strong. It really tailed off. Uh, lately, he got a few more donations, like $10, $20 donations, which is really would be great if everybody within my earshot, within earshot of me, could donate five, ten, twenty dollars. That would be amazing. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, a couple days ago, it was Wayne Doucette's birthday. So if you're a fan of the Islanders and the Miners, uh, Wayne Doucette was not an enforcer, but he was a guy who didn't mind dropping the gloves. He played a physical, hard-hitting game, and he's a good dude. And I want to interview Wayne Doucette for the show. But I cannot find Wayne Doucette's fight card anywhere. It's not on the Wayback Machine. I never uh, printed out these fight cards back in the day because you figure they're always going to be there. And uh, and I can't find it. And I think Wayne would be a great interview. And I want it to be the most complete interview that he's ever done. But I can't access his fight card, so I'm holding off getting him on the show. Now, I'm not saying please give money because you'd be like, well, asshole, why don't you give the $5,000 and then you'll have your website. I'm not asking you to give money so I can get Wayne Doucette's fight card. I'm just asking you if you have an extra five bucks, 10 bucks lying around, consider going to my social media on my Twitter and uh, clicking on the link and donating. And even if you can't, because although it looks like at least in the States, I don't know what's going on up in some parts of Canada, like Ontario, um, at least in the States, it looks like we're, we're coming out of this COVID thing. And a lot of people are returning to work. A lot of people have returned to work, not myself, of course, um, so I understand times are tough. So maybe you cannot donate. You need to hold on to every cent you have. And I completely understand that. And if that's the case, could you please go to my Twitter and retweet the tweet that costs absolutely nothing. So please consider that. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, anyone that's listening to this probably, uh, reference drop the gloves a few times in their life. So they know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that it is missed now. The latest entry on the 2021 Islanders slash Bridgeport Sound Tigers fight report. We have one additional fight that took place on June 15th. That was Matt Martin versus the big rig, Pat Maroon. Uh, not much of a fight, uh, but it was a fight. And, you know, nowadays you take what you can get. But um, both these guys, it's great to see them. They, t they both take regular shifts for their team. And, um, you know, they're the toughest guys on their team that are in the lineup right now. Uh, and they can both do other things. But, you know, this is the role that they have. And they ended up scrapping. Uh, Martin laid him out with a big hit the other night, too. So uh, so this is definitely one of those battles within the battle. And hopefully um, there's only two more games in the series. Hopefully the Islanders win tonight and Wednesday. But until then, hopefully there will be more entries into this report right now. This is the only one. So, as I said, I took yesterday off for Father's Day, and I would like to wish all the dads out there, I hope that you all had an amazing Father's Day. And I don't mean the dads who um, get women pregnant and then don't take part in their kids' lives. Unfortunately, I am well aware of someone like that who's a piece of garbage. And, um, you know, I I can't say enough bad things about him, but there are enough good men out there that do what they're supposed to do with their kids 
And um, I hope that all of you real dads out there had a great Father's Day. I hope you enjoyed it. It was obviously it's always on a Sunday. Hopefully a lot of you had off and everyone had a great, great Father's Day. And, uh, you know, just uh, keep plugging away. Keep being a dad. These kids need us. And uh, I personally, me being a dad is the greatest thing that I've ever done in my life. And it's something I take a lot of pride in. Speaking of uh, speaking of being a dad, my son, Dominic, my youngest son, he grad, he, uh, like I said, he graduated high school. We had a nice party for him over the weekend, him and my niece, uh, joint graduation party. So I just want to wish everybody, uh, cause this is the time of year that, uh, that has graduated, whether it's middle school, high school, college, grad school, whatever it is. Um, education is very important. I know that there are some people that would like you to believe that it's not, it is. It's not the end-all, be-all. You do not need to go to all these different levels of school to be successful. Don't get me wrong. But for some occupations, you do. And if you're able to go to college, go to college. If you want to learn a trade, which you can certainly do and make a lot of money doing it, helping out basically people like myself, because I cannot do shit around my house. So if you want to make money, I'm the guy you're making money off of whether you're doing plumbing or any work with your hands, I can't do shit. So I'm the guy you're making money off of. So when I tell you that you don't necessarily need to go to school to be successful, if you want to learn a trade, absolutely 100% go for it because I'm the guy you will be making money off of. But if you are continuing with your education, I wish you all the best of luck. And if you have finished your education and you're getting out in the job world, the best piece of advice I can give you is just work hard because I see a lot of young people nowadays that are afraid to put in a hard day's work and put in the effort. And if you're, if you're a guy or a girl that doesn't mind the hard work, getting your feet dirty, getting your hands dirty, getting sweaty, literally or figuratively, I, I have no doubt you'll be a success with the people you're competing with. So good luck to everybody. Uh, finally, uh, before I get into this week's episode, I'd like to uh, send my condolences to the family of Tom Curvers. Word came down today that the former Islanders defenseman has passed away at the young age of 58. Uh, he lost his battle with lung cancer. Uh, I, I would venture to guess that uh, most people have had uh, experience either personally or with someone in their family, a loved one uh, that has been uh, touched by cancer. Uh, you know, there's the hashtag cancer sucks and F cancer. I mean, I, I think we all know someone who has been affected by cancer to some degree. And um, unfortunately, Tom passed away. I, I don't know if it was this morning or last night, but the news came down today that Tom Curvers has passed away from lung cancer at the age of 58. So condolences to all of uh, Tom's loved ones there. So today's episode. So today is the debut of... Talking Isles Enforcers with. Now, how did this come about? Well, months and months ago, I was talking with uh, Dean Ewan, and uh, I say Dean Ewan because I know a few deans, and I, I don't want you to think, which dean was he talking to? I was talking to Dean Ewan. We were talking about the show. And, you know, as you know, Dean is, Dean and I are like brothers, and Dean is the smartest person I know. And Dean always gives me good advice. And one of the things that he said, he goes, look, at some point, you're probably going to have to consider broadening your horizons. And I I don't know if this is exactly what he meant. I think uh, Dean has a lot of faith in me that I can maybe broaden my horizons and, and do different things in the interview 
uh, realm, maybe with other athletes, other players, or regular people, you know, whatever. I, I know uh, his confidence in me is, is uh, immense. And how today's episode and this new series or sub-series, as I'm calling it, came about is very simple. This show that I do is about Islanders enforcers, Islanders organizational enforcers. And the reality is there is a finite number of interview guests I can get on the show. Now, will I ever run out of guests for this show? No, because I already know some people will not do this show. So uh, I can run out of opportunities, but I can never run out of guests because there'll always at least be one or two people that will never do the show. So technically I wouldn't run out of guests, but because it is a finite number, eventually the show would go the way of the dinosaur. And even though, and, and Darren, you know, I mentioned Darren from fourth line voice, Alec from five for fighting Bobby, although Bobby doesn't do interviews anymore, but he probably has experienced this in the past. Um, securing guests when you're uh, small potatoes like myself, it's not easy. And what happens is you reach out to guys and if they say no, great. Because if they say, look, I'm not, you know, I've had guys say no for various reasons. Most of it is that they're still working in hockey and it, they just don't think it's a good idea right now. And I completely understand that. Of course, it's disappointing, but I get it. And I respect the fact that they're not kind of dangling the carrot. Most of them say, look, when, you know, if and when things change, I would definitely do your show. So I'm a man. They're men. It, it's great. You just handle it like men, and that's perfect. Um, then you get the guys who say they'll do the show, and then they, I guess, what do the kids call it? Ghost you. And you send message after message after message. And at a certain point, I just, I'm like, all right, well, whatever. I can't, I can't keep chasing guys. And there's probably four or five guys that I have done all the work, made uh, tons of questions. I mean, you've heard the interviews before. I've done all the research, and I, I just can't get any response back from these guys. So that gets frustrating. Uh, then there are the guys you send messages to, and they don't reply. So I'm sitting here thinking that, um, well, I've been in this fight game, I mean, as much as a fan could be. I'm not saying, I'm not puffing out my chest here. I mean, I'm just a fan. But I've been involved in this for 30 so thirty or so years. And over those years, I have uh, made several acquaintances, some of who, some of whom are still very good friends. But they did not fall within the parameters of the rules I set forth for this show. And there are already shows out there that fall into the same category as mine. Like I said, Five for Fighting, Fourth Line Voice. They do, we all do similar shows. And if I was going to change the uh, mode of the show to say, well, I'm going to interview just straight enforcers now, well, then it kind of, it. there's already two shows like that, and those guys do great jobs. I don't want to just be another show because then it's like, well, yeah, I listened to Fourth Line Voice and he interviewed X, and then I listened to Five for Fighting, he interviewed Y, and now I'm doing Z. And not that my my show is different than theirs, but I I I have those parameters, those Islanders parameters set in place. But like I said, 
I'm going to run into an issue at some point because I'm going to either run out of guys to interview or I'm going to run out of guys who don't respond or I'm going to run out of guys because they don't respond. They never respond. So what I decided is I wanted to go down a different avenue and this way it will open up a lot of players that I would not have normally been able to interview, but now it opens the door for me to have them on the show. And I thought, well, these guys, and I'll give you an example. Today's guest is Kevin Killer Kaminsky, and Kevin has done a million interviews in his life, and he did do a Five for Fighting podcast with Alec. And most of Kevin's interviews have been about his career. So I didn't want to do another one of those, and especially because I like rules. I like regulations. I like this stuff. I like having parameters. And I'm not going to veer from the parameters of my show because I want to do a four-hour Kevin Kaminsky interview. I think it would be great, but there's enough of that stuff out there already. So what I decided to do after Killer said yes, he would do the show, I basically went down down his hockey DB and made a list of guys that he played with that have ties to the Islanders. Then I went down the list of his fight card and made a list of guys that he fought that have ties to the Islanders. So in this episode that you're about to listen to, it's not Kevin Kaminsky talking about Kevin Kaminsky's career. It's Kevin Kaminsky talking about former teammates, former coaches, and fighters that he fought that are tied into the Islanders. For instance, Kevin Kaminsky is going to talk to you about Chris Simon. He's going to talk to you about Ken Baumgartner. He's going to talk to you about Craig Berube. He's going to talk to you about guys that he either played with or fought or played for. And, you know, Barry Trotz, for instance, Brian Trottier. Now, Brian Trottier is not an Islander enforcer, but he's Brian Trottier. So, of course, he's brought into it being one of the greatest players of all time. But basically what I'm saying is if you're wondering, hey, what kind of interview is this going to be? It is not an interview about Kevin Kaminsky's career. It's getting Kevin Kaminsky's opinions and thoughts of guys who played for the Islanders. And I think it came out very well. I've already reached out to two other guys. They're on board, two guys who never played for the Islanders, but along the same veins, vein, played against the Islanders, played, one guy played against uh, Islanders in the minors, one guy really didn't play too much in the minors. Um, but this is, I feel it gives me another option when, you know, I can bring you something different. So my goal really is if you want to take a four, let's say a month has four weeks, what I'd really love to do going forward is bring you an interview with an Islander organizational enforcer, bring you an interview with a non-Islander player under the Talking Isles Enforcers banner and a solo episode. Okay. And then that fourth week would be any one of the, uh, any one of those options. So this way it kind of gives you a little bit of everything. And, you know, just as I do the, um, the seasons episodes, which Darren says he's always going to steal, but he hasn't stolen yet. And I wish he would, because I'd love to hear him do an episode like that. Cause I think he would do a great job. Darren does the top five toughest opponents. So this is like, uh, you know, we're, we do our shows, but then we do like sort of sub shows, sub series to our main show. And, you know, I do the seasons in review and now I'm going to do talking aisles enforcers with. And like I said, this is not going to be a Kevin Kaminsky interview where Kevin Kaminsky talks about his career and the, the upcoming episodes, those subjects are not going to talk about their career. They're going to talk about guys they played with 
guys they fought all have ties into the Islanders. So it'll probably be a little different type interview. This interview with Kevin Kaminsky, it'll be a different type interview than any interview you've ever heard with Killer before. And you'll notice the pattern as I put out more and more of these Talking Isles Enforcers with episodes. So um, I think it came out really well. Uh, Killer was showing off because we spoke for about two hours and the dude was on the uh, exercise bike almost the entire time. So uh, so he's showing off. Um, you know, me, I'm, <laughs> I get winded just talking, it seems like, nowadays. But uh, no, Killer, Killer and I go way back. He's one of my best friends. And, uh, and I loved that he would be the first guest on, uh, on this sub-series of episodes. So um, if you're an Islander fan and you think you're not going to like this episode because it's with a guy who never played for the Islanders, you couldn't be more wrong. Because you're an Islander fan, because you want to hear about the guys who dropped the gloves for this storied franchise, who better to hear from than guys they dropped the gloves with or guys that shared the locker room with the guys that you enjoy? The answer is nobody. You can hear me talk all day till I'm blue in the face. I never shared a locker room with these. I never shared a locker room with Chris Simon. I never shared a locker room with Craig Berube. And judging from Drew Fatta, I'm probably fortunate I didn't share a locker room with Chris Simon as apparently he's uh, very gifted, if you know what I mean. Um, but I've never shared a locker room with these guys. I've never dropped the gloves with Ken Baumgartner. I've never dropped the gloves with Paul Cruz. I never played for Barry Trotz. I never played for Bob Bourne. So this is all the insight you'll get from these Talking Isles Enforcers with. So, folks, I've spoken enough. I, I'm really glad that you're tuned in today for this new sub-series. I think it should be a drinking game. Every time I say sub-series, you should take a take a shot of Makers or something. But, uh, but folks, I hope you people enjoy this. I really appreciate the feedback, so throw it my way. If you think it sucks, let me know. And if you enjoy it, let me know that too. But here we go. The debut of Talking Isles Enforcers with, and today's guest, Kevin Killer Kaminsky. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. So I had hinted in uh, prior episodes how I wanted to uh, sort of branch out on the show and broaden the horizons of the show, uh, but still maintain the Islanders theme. And as I look back on on my years and and, uh, all the players that I've met in my life, I don't want to say in hockey, it's not like I've ever had a job in hockey, but... Uh, I've been fortunate enough over the years to make many acquaintances, and some of those acquaintances are still lifelong friends. And uh, I said, I have this massive Rolodex, what can I do with it? So today will be the inaugural episode of Talking Isles Enforcers With. So uh, as I was going through my mental Rolodex, I said, there's no better person uh, that I want to I want to do this first episode with, and a very very good friend of mine, one of my best friends in the whole world, and uh, just someone that uh, you know I would go to war with any day of the week. That's former Washington Capital Kevin Kaminsky. Killer, how's it going today? Good, Joe. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for doing this, and uh, hopefully we have some fun with this and. Like I was telling you before we started recording, it's just a different kind of interview than, that you've done because I'm sure for yourself and for the other players that I'm going to get on for this sort of sub-series of my show, um, most of the interviews that you've done, you've talked about your career and you've talked about uh, you know, your hockey journey where today we're going to talk about guys you played against and, and memories and 
the good thing is, you know, we've already talked about it over the years, how much I was a fan of your game and the way that you played. So, uh, so this should be fun as I bring up some of the more colorful names from the past. So what we're going to do, Killer, we'll start with uh, where, where it all began. I mean, obviously not when you were five or six years old, but let's start back in the dub. We'll start with your days in Saskatoon. And the first name I want to bring up to you is someone that you fought while you were a member of the Blades. And then later on, you actually fought him while you were with the Capitals when he was a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it's someone with a monster reputation. And that's Kenny the Bomber Baumgartner. Uh, do you remember fighting Kenny? And what other memories might you have of him? Yeah, well, and, and first of all, Joe, I just want to say it's a pleasure uh, to be on your show Uh uh, hard to believe a kid from Churchburg, Saskatchewan uh, would be a huge, huge Islanders fan. And uh, and that I was, uh, you know. So every time I see all your postings, who's on, uh, you know, the next uh, heavyweight up, I'm like, man, I wish I could be on that. But I know I'm not part of that Islanders core. But I tell you what, I, I, I live that every day. I, I mean, I reminisce about... You know, uh, their Stanley Cups, you know, Brian Trotchy, Mike Bossy, Gillies, Nystrom, Potvin, Billy Smith, uh, Bobby Bourne. You know, the list goes on and on. And, uh, you know, I, I had a very good mentor, Huey Scobie, right from my hometown, who was a scout for the Blades. Always told me to mentor my game after Brian Trotchy because... He always said he's the best two-way centerman to ever play the game, and I, and I truly believe that, and and I took that to heart, and and that's what I tried to, you know, to to be with my game was win every face-off, you know, punish guys on hits, make plays, score goals, you know, just to, just to be a complete hockey player like Brian was, and uh, you know, and then uh, another guy who played a little bit with the Islanders, Wendell Clark, so I tied to try to tie that in too because those two were my idols mm -hmm. and uh but like i said uh the islanders heydays and then they're back now with uh you know a coach that we all know who we want to mm -hmm. call the cup in portland maine barry trotz mm -hmm. uh it's just good to see uh the island uh back on top and uh rolling again now um one thing i want to ask you then maybe you're the you're a good person to ask because as i do these interviews a lot of the players come from out West and a lot of players, their favorite team growing up was the Islanders. And I think for people like, like myself growing up in the States, obviously growing up in New York, we got the Islanders on TV. We got the Rangers on TV, but it seems like a lot of players out West, whether it's Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, um, a lot of players around our age, uh, we're Islanders fans, so was it that? Did you, I think we just always assume you got the Leafs and the Canadians on Hockey Night in Canada, but were the Islanders on TV quite a bit during their heyday? No, they weren't. Just mm. just during the playoffs, you know, okay. like we, we'd be watching as a family, and you couldn't wait for the period to be over. Then they'd switch over to the other games, you know. Mm. Yeah. So so yeah, so that's kind of. Yeah, but I just uh, I every time I had an opportunity to watch the Islanders, I did so. Yeah, well, that was uh, those were some good good times, and and it's funny because now, um, you know, both of my boys, as you know, they were born in Philadelphia, and 
so for their when they were growing up, I always said, look, you're from Philadelphia. You could root for the Islanders, but you're from here. Root for the Flyers. So for the most part, Joey always did, and, and Dominic always was kind of like a mama's boy, so he followed along Andrew's teams. But even now that we've been back on Long Island now for uh, for 10 years or so, Joey, it seems like he's kind of leaning towards the Islanders. And as we watch the playoff games, I always say, you know, one of these days I'm going to pop in one of the old uh, Stanley Cup Finals games, and you could really see what a real, you know, not a, a real team like the, this team now isn't, but one of the greatest teams of all time, those dynasty teams, in my opinion, of course, and some may call me biased, uh, the greatest team that's ever been I, assembled. I, I, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those teams were, I mean, they had everything, even, uh, yeah. you know, even today, um, I do, we're recording this on uh, June 17th, uh, I posted a birthday today, Dave Fortier, and, and most people may not even know who Dave Fortier is, but he's a guy that was uh, was a, a piece of the, the cog of the, you know, the early years of the Islanders, where he's not a guy that gets all the glory, but he's a guy that wasn't afraid to get his nose dirty, and uh, they just were a complete team because for every Mike Bossy they had, they had a Dave Fortier. Uh, you know, for every Dave Longevin, they had a Dennis Podvin, and, and it was just you know, you didn't have to be a superstar, but Dave Longevin, um, you know, Stefan Parison, those guys, you know, even Jerry Hart, those guys were just as important as the superstars because everybody had a role on that team. Oh, for sure. I mean, and that's what it's all about is having that right chemistry, you know, everyone uh, knowing their roles and, and, and the top guys sacrificing their body is just as much as the, you know, the role players. And, uh, and that, that's what it takes to win. You know, in my mind, and and something that that we'll touch on a little bit later, a role that you have now, uh, being a head coach, it doesn't hurt having the uh, the greatest head coach of all time uh, behind the bench during those glory years. Again, some may call me biased, but uh, I would take my chances with Al Arbor over just about anybody. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, he was uh, well, just uh, I, I think an amazing. Uh, not only amazing coach, but amazing person just from what I've seen and all his interviews and, uh, you know, the stuff he did. Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, that's, that, that's a big part of it. Uh, yeah. You, you want to, you want your players to play for you. And, uh, and Al Arbor did that for many, many years, mm-hmm. uh, as you can see his record. And, uh, yeah, he was just, uh, like I said, it's great to have those great mentors in the game. Yeah. that uh, can pass on, you know, the stuff that they learned through the, you know, coming up and, uh, you know, and to make, like I said, to make, not only make a team better, but make individuals better at, at whatever they're, whatever they're needing, you know, whether, you know, it might be board play, it might be, uh, you know, just a little, a little bit of scoring touch or whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. those coaches find ways to uh, help their players out because they have that, uh, that care factor and and they show that they they want what's best for their players. And by the way, for, for you folks listening, Killer is such a stud right now. He's doing this interview while on the bike. I can barely walk and talk at the same time, and he's on the stationary bike grinding it out. So uh, if Good you think hear... I'm not chewing gum. <laughs> yeah, Dave, you hear him breathing heavy. It's because he's on the exercise bike. I can barely walk and talk. So, uh, so yeah. So, all right. So let's get back to your career here uh, against some of these Islander guys. So I, I mentioned them earlier. 
tell me if you remember fighting the bomber and uh if you uh, and but even if you don't you played against them a million times what are your memories playing against kenny the bomber yeah you know what i i think i uh i i don't know if i i think i played against kenny he was a little bit older yeah and uh oh i think it was at that time kenny and and uh dave manson mm -hmm. uh back in the pa raider heyday yeah um i think i got called up and and i kind of tell this story and i i still can't i i, I think it was uh ken bob gunner i fought but then also i've heard it was dave manson so i can't remember so you might be able to help me out and i think that's why you're saying it now yeah, according to what I see, it has you listed as fighting Bomber. And even if you didn't fight him back in PA, you did fight him with uh, Toronto. So, But he's also a guy you played against a bunch of times. So even if you don't remember the fight specifically, uh, he's definitely a, an intimidating presence out there, I would think. Well, he was, uh, you know, he, you know he, he played hard. Mm -hmm. He played passion, uh, but he had... He had that uh, meanness and craziness to him too. That you know, he's he, he's you know, just like in my mind, you know, when I put the two blades on, I become a different breed. I think I'm the toughest guy there is on ice, right? Mm -hmm. And and I, I think uh, Bomber was the same way. Um, you know, like I said, he, he had that mental toughness to do whatever it took to uh, you know make the Raiders or make the Islanders or wherever. Maple Leafs, wherever he played, and he was a presence. I mean, you know, he wasn't the biggest guy in stature, but he didn't care. He uh, he kept on coming at you, and uh, you know, like I said, he played that game game with that edge, uh, and that's uh, for sure he needed it back then. Now, uh, with many of my guests, because uh, the Islanders used to dip into the WHL pool quite a bit. Uh, I have brought up Bomber and I brought up Rod Dahlman, uh, and they were two of the key components to the Prince Albert flu, which from what I have been told was a very real thing. So do you remember going into Prince Albert and, and you know, it's usually uh, people talk about you know, Bomber and Dave Manson and I think Al Stewart was there and then it went on to guys like Rod Dahlman and, and Darren Kimball. But because Dolly and Bomber were two key components of that, uh, Prince Albert flu was a real thing, correct? Well, from what I hear, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, well, the time I got called up when I was 15 from AAA Midget Blazers to go play in Prince Albert, uh, you know, I uh, I just heard some guys that got sick and one guy forgot his skates, forgot to pack his skates. So, <laughs> you know, I, 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 whatever, I was just, you know what? I, I didn't care. Mm -hmm. I, I was a uh, 15 year old. I, I was so excited to get called up and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, go play. And, uh, I think it was, uh, we were in their zone mm -hmm. and, uh, we were coming back up the ice and, uh, going back into, our, into the blade zone. And all of a sudden I get this cross check from behind. So I just turn around and we, we dropped the gloves and away we go, you know? So, uh, that was my, I guess, kind of my first ever fight in regular season, uh, in, in the dub against Kenny Baumgartner. Well, that's talk about jumping in the deep end. That's uh, pretty impressive. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I, like I said, it's. Uh, I think that was part of my game. I, I loved that part of the game, and I didn't care. You know, I don't even think back then I really knew who. At 15, I didn't really think I knew who Ken Barton, Baumgartner, and Dave Manson really were. You know, right. I just heard you hear their names; they're tough. But you know, you whatever. So you just go play play your game and uh, things happened and uh, yeah I guess it was a good way to uh, get off on the right foot uh, on the road and uh, fighting uh, true heavyweight man no no doubt no doubt uh, next player I want to ask you about uh, former Regina Pat and uh, former guest of the show Sean Byram any memories of uh, fighting Sean Byram yeah I think yeah I think I fought Sean in uh, PA2 right uh, that would have been Regina, I believe. Regina. And you were, uh, a blade. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. Uh, yeah, Sean, uh, you know, there's another guy. He's, uh, got good size. Uh, he does everything very, very well. And, uh, and he's a competitor. And I think it was just, uh, I, you know, I think he had some size on me, but I think I, I just kept on going at him and at him. I think we finally fought, and, uh, you know, nothing. We just went at her and had a good tilt, and then we moved on, right? Well, the funny thing is you just said he had some size on me, but I kept going. I'm pretty sure with most of the guys here, they had some size on you, and you kept going. So that could be a running theme uh, throughout this interview, especially the next guy I want to ask you about was an Islander just for a short time. But he was a swift current Bronco at the time, and you fought him twice. And he's a big defenseman, Ian Herbers. Do you remember uh, playing against Ian? Yeah, I remember playing against Ian in uh, in the old barn in Saskatoon, and uh, I, I believe it was like right in front of their bench. Yeah, I, I kind of ran at him, and then we just looked at each other, and and away we went. Uh, I, I thought I did very well. I think he was like six four, and but uh, uh, to me, I felt like I got the upper hand on uh, on Herbs there. So, but I, I remember I was a, it was a it was a very good tilt, man. Um, no, yeah, and I, I think at that point, I I think uh, Ian, if I and I didn't see his whole career, obviously, I definitely didn't see him uh, back then. But I think Ian is a guy, and I think it might be true with a lot of guys that size where. You, it takes you a while to grow into your size and get used to playing like that. Like I always give the example of Ross Johnston here, who's just an absolute killer. And if you watch, if you watch Ross's fights, let's say, and, and his even his play from from when he first turned pro with Bridgeport to now, I mean, his skating is so much better. His his balance, uh, just it looks like his whole game is just developed now because he's a big dude. And when you get a guy like Ian Herbers, who, like you say, he's 6'4", and as a 16-year-old, he has to grow into that. And I think I think Ian is the kind of guy who probably did better in, in terms of fighting as he got older. And his his body and his mentality grew into his size. You know, as, as like he had a man's body as a kid, and then he became a man in that same body. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I remember – it's kind of like uh, a string bean, I guess. And, uh, you know, he for that size, he seemed a little bit timid. Mm-hmm. And just as you said, like I said, everyone, I think at some point, uh, you know, has that switch where they can turn it on and say, hey, I'm 6'4", man, I'm freaking 
I'm big, I'm strong, I can throw, I'm tough, whatever. You know, even even just like, uh, you know, a goal scorer or, or a guy that's having trouble scoring and he gets that one goal and he just turns it on and doesn't look back, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I think uh, with Ian at that time, back way back then, like I said, he was, uh, you know, a little timid, mm-hmm. uh, wasn't sure, you know, Maybe wasn't sure how to fight back then, right? So, right. Um, someone who did not have a size advantage on you, and it's sort of like the opposite. Like if you you have a clash of the titans, you have these two big monsters go at it. This would be sort of the opposite of that, but monster attitudes and monster aggression. Uh, one of the guys that uh, I got a few Medicine Hat Tigers here, and this is another former guest and someone I love, someone in your weight class and two guys who never give up. Uh, what do you remember about battling Robbie DeMaio? Well, Robbie was, uh, I guess, yeah, we, we both were, I think, uh, I think we made from the same cloth, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robbie was uh, Robbie was an excellent player. Yeah. You know what? He was a very good skater. He playmaker, scored goals and played gritty. And yeah, and he was tough, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. I think we fought. Uh, well, the one I remember anyway, we fought in Madison Hat right at Center Ice, and uh, it was toe to toe slugfest, man. We just uh, neither one of us were going down, but we were we were landing every punch, and it was uh, yeah. I think it was a hell of a tilt for the fans. That's for sure. You fought two other. Tigers uh, over your career with the Blades. That was uh, Dale Kushner and Dean Chenault. So, uh, all in addition to if you have any memories about those two guys, I guess those Blades and Tigers games must have been just wild. I mean, I would think all the Blades games were probably crazy, but it looks like Medicine Hat also had some guys that could handle themselves too. Yeah, no, back then uh, Barry Melrose was the coach, and uh, like you said, they had uh, they had very good teams actually. So my first two years with Blades, we played them in the conference final. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and, and the first year, I think they beat us out in six. And then the second year, we had them coming back home down three games to two. Mm-hmm. And they beat us in seven games back in, uh, in Medicine Hat. And uh, they went on to win back-to-back Memorial Cup champions. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was that was a little, especially that second year when we had them down. Um, that was a you know tough pill to swallow. But like I said, they uh, they had a bunch of uh, well, they had very good players. Uh, you know, Kushner too. He was he could score. You know, he did it all too. And Dean Chenault was uh, a, what a, a you know a very very solid D man with good skill, but also you know he played played hard, played mean, played tough. You know, so. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just the way the way it was way back then was you know you you had to you had to kind of do it all yeah um, but yeah no I, I Dale uh, you know I said Dale was a guy who um, like I said he found ways to score yeah and uh, uh, you know like I said when I don't I, I can't I can't remember exactly how it went but mm-hmm. uh, you know he probably uh, you know, I, I try to get him off his game, and and then we finally fought. So uh, I, I can't remember exactly, you know, the the whole thing of it, but I 
I'm, I'm pretty sure it was uh, in Saskatoon at the old barn, and uh, you know, just to, I guess you know, he, he might have scored a couple of goals, so I had to try and slow him down a bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Dino, I think there was just uh, I took a good run at him, and uh, I think finally, finally he dropped the gloves, and away we went at her. So, and I, and Dino could throw with both; he was a lefty too. So. And and I would think a guy like Chenault is someone who, not even necessarily actually fighting, but it's someone that you had a battle with because I, I think people know you, most people would know you from your time with Washington and, and your penalty minutes and everything, but I think what a lot of people who aren't necessarily, uh, the, don't do the deep dive, they don't realize that you did everything in junior, you were a goal scorer, you did a lot of things, so you were playing a lot with the Blades, and obviously Dean Chenault was a was a first round pick for the Islanders, so he's playing a lot for Medicine Hat, so I'm sure you guys probably went head to head a lot, not just fighting, but you you guys probably played against each other a lot and battled a lot well i think especially uh you know the second year i think we uh you know we were me jack bocus uh you know rest in peace and then uh, grant kachuk were uh are, are were the top line mm-hmm. and uh you know they i think they tried to match us against their their top uh deep pairing which was i think maybe chinos and mm-hmm. uh god i can't remember no not mcgill but um, I was going to say, if you remember that, that's impressive. Yeah, I'm trying to think of his name. I think he was he was a Minnesota draft pick, actually. But but anyway, yeah, I think they tried to pair us up against there. So, you know, when you're going to the net, man, you especially with uh, Dino, I mean, you're you're going to pay the price, man. You're going to get cross-checked in the arms. You're going to get hacked and whacked. And it's, you know, uh, but that's, like you said, uh that's that's the way it was back then, man. You had to fight for every inch of ice. Uh, you had to fight for that blue paint to score goals against uh, Madison Hat, man. Another a player from the Regina Pats, who uh, who you can't really tell the story of Kevin Kaminsky back in Saskatoon without talking about uh, the incident you had with Mark Jansen's. And uh, really, to me, uh, you and I have spoken about it a million times. Uh, the aftermath of the incident. I mean, I don't know if a lot of people that are listening that aren't Kevin Kaminsky fans are really aware of just how big this thing eventually got. So uh, could you kind of take us through uh, what happened with you and Mark Jansen's? Yeah, we're well, obviously playing in the old barn in Saskatoon, and um, I think... Uh... Uh, I think the game was 2-2, I believe, and then Mark uh, coming around the net to, like, in front of our net, and uh, just as he let go of the puck, I came up high on him, um, and, uh, and he scored, so it was 3-2, and then, uh, you know, as we pulled our goalie, I think, and uh, uh, whatever, it was a turnover, Mark came down, and uh, scored uh, scored an empty netter, and I I went at him. I went up high on him again. Uh, they said it was a cross check. It, it was I only had one, you know, my top hand on my stick. If it was a cro- and I'm not I'm not defending myself, nothing. But if it was a two hands on my stick, it would have been a lot worse. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm going to say. I'll leave mm-hmm. it at that. Yep. I came up high on him. It wasn't the right thing to do. Um, you know, I think I chipped a couple of his teeth. He had, uh, four or five stitches on the outside of his 
cheek and uh you know what yeah it was uh it was a um, poor display of sportsmanship on my part um and, and you know what it cost me it cost yeah. me 12 games um you know it uh, some lawyer was trying to make a name for himself uh you know took me to court for uh bodily harm um and the WHL suspended uh, use of aluminum sticks uh, after that. Uh, um, so yeah, so there was a little bit of a trickle down effect. Uh, I mean, I had I talked to Mike called Mark. I apologized to him uh, maybe a week later, and uh, uh, you know, um, and you know, and I think in his interview he says, you know, um, it's you know, Kevin's Kevin, and it's but it's part of the game and. And we move on. Um, so yeah, do I do I wish I would have never done that for sure? Um, you know, I mean, it's uh, um, you know you 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 play to win, and uh, uh, sometimes you cross the line, and uh, unfortunately, I did. But um, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't I haven't seen Mark or talked to Mark in a long time, but I I have after that incident, and uh, I think we both buried the hatchet and. Uh, and moved on. So, um, you know, he went on to a, to a very successful career and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was, uh, kind of the, kind of the story to it. Yeah. The last guy, it looks like I'm going to ask you about that you fought in, uh, in the, the Western league, but you also fought him in the IHL and you also fought him in the NHL. And when you fought him in the NHL, he was actually an Islander. Back in the dub, he was a Kamloops Blazer, and he also played for the uh, Salt Lake in the eye, and he's a former guest of the show. Uh, tough as nails, you fought Paul Cruz three times. What are your memories about fighting or playing against Cruiser? Yeah, I think uh, I think Paul Cruz, kind of the same thing with Ian Herbers, right? Yeah. Um, uh, he was tall and lanky uh, in Kamloops, and I, you know, I, I kept on. I heard he was tough, so I kept on calling him on, calling him on, and finally he dropped his gloves, and I gave it to him pretty good in junior. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I can't uh, – I'm trying to think of the Salt Lake one. Yeah, I don't uh, remember that one. I just know it's on your uh, it's on your card. I saw his name multiple times, and then uh, I know you fought him at the Cap Center. Yeah, then we uh, – yeah, when he was with the Islanders mm-hmm. – um, I think it was right down in the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Uh, it was, uh, there, there was kind of a scrum and then we kind of, I don't know, then we got kind of out of the scrum and we went at her. Yeah. It was right down in the corner. And, uh, it was a good tilt. He was a big man though. I would say he, I would say, uh, I think he cut you, but I think if the wind blows too hard, I think your forehead splits open anyway. So, well, yeah, all you got to do is give me a flick and I'm bleeding. <laughs> as, as Serge Roberts put it, he says, killer. You have paper face. <laughs> <laughs> so, so three teammates I want to ask you about back with the blades. Uh, first guy I want to ask you about, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Uh, Duncan McPherson. Uh, and for people who, um, who don't know the story of Duncan McPherson, uh, there's a book out called cold a long time. And it is an unbelievable book that documents uh, Duncan's, uh, you know, 
career from a child to uh, the incident where he went missing. And it really highlights the battle that his parents and his family went through uh, with the Austrian government and everything. And it's really, it's a heartbreaking book. Uh, It's so detailed. So I would highly recommend uh, getting that book cold a long time. But Killer, you played with Duncan back in uh, Saskatoon. So what are your memories of, of Duncan? Yeah, I tell you what, Duncan was absolutely uh, an awesome human being. Uh, you know, he, uh, like I said, I I didn't play with those guys much, right? But I, I got that call up, I think, uh, for those five games as a 15-year-old. And uh, that's when I got to play. But, you know, I, I used to watch, like I said, if, if the Blazers, the Triple A Midget Blazers team wasn't playing, I was at the the old barn watching, watching the Blades, you know? Mm-hmm. Guys like, you know, Wendell Clark and Duncan McPherson and, uh, God, I mean, the list goes on and on. But it's, uh, Duncan was, uh, oh, God, he was a very compassionate human being, man. He uh, he cared a lot, uh, uh, cared to win. I think always worked on his game, always wanted to get better. And, uh, yeah, uh, it was... Uh, Man, I, I remember when I heard that. Uh, you know, it's been a while, but yeah. Um, and then all those years, you know, after the uh, things kind of sorted out. But man, it was. Uh, you know, you you just uh, you hate to uh, see that happen to to any soul. Yeah. You know, and uh, and and just you know exactly what you said, uh, Joe. Just. Uh, you know, I, I still friends uh, with Derek. We chat, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit uh, on Messenger and that stuff. And um, you know, his parents. It's it, the whole family was absolutely amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just it's heartbreaking to see, you know, what they were they were going through. I remember coming back after pro, and you hear that, and and uh, you know, you you see Derek, and what do you say? You know, it's. It's it just, yeah, I'm sorry, I, uh, but I mean, yeah, it's just tragic to, you know, for, for that to happen. And and uh, I always tell people all the time, you know, I've met a lot of really, really tough human beings over the years, whether it's in uh, combat sports or football or hockey. Uh, I think the toughest person I've ever met is uh, Duncan's mom, Linda. Uh, she is an absolute warrior and... Man, if I if I had a cause that I was fighting for, I would definitely want her in my corner. That is probably the strongest human being. It's a pleasure to know, and uh, I mean, she defines the word warrior. So, uh, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to meet her, or if you just know Derek. Oh God, yeah. When, yeah. Like you said, when we were with the Blades, we yeah. were we would go over their house, or uh, you know, Duncan and Todd McClellan were good friends or we would, we, we would all be over at the McClellan's and, uh, you know, we're just, uh, and like I said, I mean, the McPherson's never missed a game, yeah. uh, you know, so you always see them after the game and they were always on the road after the game and yeah, they're just, uh, you know, great human beings and, uh, great parents, uh, to their kids and, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. Uh, what you said, Joe. She's yeah. uh, you know they went through a lot, but uh, uh, you know she's she's a true warrior. Uh, all right, so now here's where I want you mentioned him earlier, and that's Wendell Clark. Now, b- b- before you talk about 
being a teammate, and you were just a teammate of his for a short time. But because you were in the area back when Wendell was playing, uh, I think Wendell's a guy who doesn't get <clears throat> excuse me the respect that he deserves from a lot of the younger fans now. They don't. I don't think they really grasp just how what what Wendell Clark m- means to hockey and what he meant to the blades and what he meant to the Western league and going number one overall to Toronto. So I guess I'd ask you as someone who's coming up in your, in your hockey journey, having someone like Wendell Clark to look up to. And then I would say, what is it like actually being a teammate of his? Oh man. I, yeah. I mean, we think we grew up about two hours and 15 minutes away from each other. Um, you know, and, I, I, you know, you, you don't know him until you, you know, until uh, I went and watched the Blades. And, and I think at that time, I uh, we would go to Regina to watch the Blades versus the Pats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I was, whatever, 12, 13, and then 14, I got put on the Blades list. Um, you know, so... Me, my dad, and, and the former scout, Huey Scobie, we would all go up to Regina uh, to watch the games, whether it was on a Tuesday or Wednesday or whenever we weren't playing, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you got to go, got to watch guys, uh, Joe, uh, you know, Wendell and Joey and uh, Duncan. And, uh, you know, it was – and they had, they had Warriors too, man. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I just felt – with Wendell, it was uh, it was just in another league. Um, I think that's and that's why he went first overall. His he could skate backwards better than most of the guys could skate forwards back then. Uh, you know, because he played defense with the blades. You know, right. mm-hmm. um, and you know he he hit like a truck. And I don't think I, I didn't see him lose any fights at all uh, with the blades. He just uh, uh, man when he when he went at her, man he. He got pissed off, and, and he would just throw. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I, again, I guess I was fortunate enough to uh, get to watch Wendell whenever I, whenever I could. And, and I said, obviously, I um, played with uh, those guys for five games. And I remember um, being on the road. I think we went to Calgary Wranglers back then, and then Medicine Hat, and... Uh, Leftbridge, yeah. it was like a three-game road swing. Funny how I got got to go on all the road games and not play at home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, anyway, I got uh, you know back then I, I got the room with Wendell and uh, uh, Mr. Holtby. Oh yeah, uh, uh, yeah. They, you know, they threw a cot in cot in that room, and that that's where I slept. So <laughs> I, I didn't sleep very much because I was so pumped and excited to uh you know again to be a blade and to be a be a part of those guys there and just you know again just to play where i, I wanted to play mm-hmm. uh, you know as 15 year old but wendell uh you know just back to wendell wendell's uh you know there's another superhuman being that uh, he's quiet um you know he's not uh you know he's he's full of humility yeah um and he, uh, I don't, to me, he played the game right. I mean, he hit, he scored, he fought, he, you know, he, he did it all too. And, and I think just uh, his legacy here in Saskatoon, obviously his, 
numbers retired. Um, and, and, and in Toronto, you, you've seen what he, you know, what he did there. I mean, it was absolutely outstanding. Uh, Toronto, Toronto wasn't very good back then. And uh, to me, it took a couple of years, but he turned that team around and, uh, you know, they, they added some good pieces, you know, uh, along the way as well. But, you know, he got that city, uh, you know, out of their seat, put mm-hmm. it that way. And, uh, but yeah, like I said, he's very, uh, he's a very humble person and uh, goes about his business. But like, again, when he puts the blades on, man, yeah, look out. You know, the thing about Wendell is, for someone like myself, obviously, I've been a fan of his. I mean, there's no internet back in the mid-'80s, so I really didn't get to see Wendell do his thing till he was with Toronto. Uh, but, you know, you watch him play once, and you're an instant fan. And for me, getting getting to interview Wendell on my show, because he was an Islander, would be an absolute honor. But I, I think what you said, he's, sort of, he's a very humble guy. I don't know if he'd actually be that great of an interview, because I, I, he always seems like the kind of guy that would deflect praise. Like, hey, Wendell, you did this. And he'd probably be like, oh, yeah, you know, just whatever, worked hard. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just... For a guy that has the resume that he has, you're 100% right. He doesn't seem like someone that is really ready to talk about himself. He would just rather talk about other people. Hey, you're exactly right, man. Um, you know, man, you might have to buy him a couple of cocktails uh, before the interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, he, then he might loosen up a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, uh, Wendell doesn't uh, like to talk about himself uh, you know what, he, like I said, he goes about his business, you know, uh, he sees what's happening or he hears what's going on, but he doesn't, uh, it's, it's not a, it's not a thing for him to, you know, again, I don't know, to boast or, um, he just, it just kind of, it is what it is with Wendell, you know, I'm, I'm here to do a job and I'm going to do it. Well, and just in case this happens to pass through Wendell's ears, uh, Wendell, I would still love to interview you. I don't want you to be discouraged. It'd still be an honor for me to interview you, so I don't want to discourage anything. But uh, speaking of Wendell Clark, uh, someone who I know is uh, a lifetime friend of yours, uh, someone who I am a big fan of, and I was so honored to have him on my show, and I think he's a great guy. Uh, Please talk about playing with and your friendship with uh, Kerry Clark, someone who I, I, I'm just so happy that he was picked by the Islanders and I got to watch him do his thing with Springfield and, uh, and everything else. So talk about, just please talk about your friendship with Sharky. Oh, Sharky is, uh, he's one of a kind, man. Uh, I, I, you know, Sharky's kind of a little bit opposite from Wendell. He, you know, he likes the limelight a little bit. Uh, but again, he doesn't, uh, boast either but he'll he'll definitely absorb it he loves that stuff right so um you know again i think i first met sharky uh in yorkton at a hockey school and uh and we sat beside each other and kind of uh, started our friendship then and then obviously uh got to be teammates in uh with the blades here in saskatoon and uh but I, I think it was, you know, I think our real friendship really started, 
uh, was in, uh, I got traded to uh, Washington Capitals. Sharky signed with the Washington Capitals. Um, you know, and we started the season in uh, Portland, Maine with the Portland Pirates in the American Hockey League. And we, we got a place uh, kind of right downtown. And, uh, you know, it was just, it, what an awesome roommate. I mean, again, there's a guy who would do anything for you, give his shirt off his back. Uh, not only not only in the, the game of hockey, but uh, also in the game of life. Uh, just, a, uh, again, just a superhuman being. And, uh, you know, he just... Uh, he just goes with the flow. I, I mean, there are, there were, there were mornings. He, he's not a morning person. Even, even though we lived on the farm in Kelvington, mm-hmm. I, I remember we would be going to practice and uh, he would be uh, stopping at green lights, going through red lights and just he like, I go, Sharky, like, wake up, man. <laughs> like, you're going to get us killed, you know? <laughs> he, he, he needed uh he didn't have his coffee yet. He he needs needed a little time to wake up. But uh, no, you're you're. Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, he's uh, again. There's another true warrior that you're not going to find a better teammate. I I mean, if uh, someone on the other team does something to their goal scorer, he he knows his role. He's he's going to take care of it. And and you know another thing with Sharky. Which is which is probably unheard of, right? Sharky, before the games, he would go talk to the other team's tough guys, and then he'd fight them once or twice every game. Is you that know? right? Oh my gosh! Like I, I to me, I'm like, I hate everybody on the other team. I ain't talking to anybody. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna kill you on the ice, you know. But Sharky, <laughs> Sharky was like, I don't know. He had this. He, he was such a happy-go-lucky guy, man. He he would go over there. Like, if you could see him sitting in the stands, they'd be laughing with the tough guy. And then next thing you know, they, you know, he, he knew his role. He knew business. And he'd fight him, you know. So that was uh, that was one thing that uh, kind of stuck out to me. I don't know whether it bothered me or not, but uh, but he did his job, right? So it, it, it didn't bother me. Maybe at first it did, but Sharky, Sharky didn't care. He... Uh, he, he would fight anybody. And I mean, like I said, I, he liked a little bit of the limelight. And, uh, you know, we, we went out and we had a lot of fun. But I think uh, I think the, one of the coolest things that Sharky uh, used to do after he scored, you know, he didn't score very many, but when, uh, when he did score, he celebrated and did the old uh, moonwalk with the three amigos at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, I think we were playing in Charlotte and, uh, I think it was against Toronto and Wendell wasn't dressed. I wasn't dressed. Sharky was playing and I could, so it's a smaller ring. So I could see, I seen where Wendell was sitting, right? And, uh, Sharky scored and Sharky barrels it down, turns around. He does the moonwalk, does the three amigos. I just see Wendell just like. Put his head down and just shake his head. He goes, oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's my brother, you know? Oh, man. It was, uh, like I said, Sharky uh, Sharky was colorful. Um, you know, like I said, he liked to have fun. He, uh, just, he was just, like I said, 
you're not going to get a better dude as uh, as a friend, as a teammate, as a roommate. Uh, I can't say enough good things about uh, the shark. All right, Hank. So talking about the uh, the moonwalk and the three amigos. So uh, with a lot of guys that I interview uh, that were uh, drafted by the Islanders in the mid mid to late eighties. <coughs> Excuse me. I always talk about this rookie game they had with the Rangers where there were a ton of fights. It was just the first period took well over an hour. And the best part about that was it all started with Sharky. He scored a goal, did the moonwalk, did the three amigos. And uh, Dean Ewan, he tells me that uh, he looks over at the Rangers bench and all he sees are the Rangers passing the Vaseline around. And the guys are greasing up their faces because now you know what's going to happen. And uh, Sharky got that all started with the moonwalk and the three amigos. So they didn't, uh, they didn't really like that, but I'm sure there's probably a bunch of fights that started because of the, uh, the moonwalk and the three amigos. Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm surprised there, uh, there wasn't more brawls back then when, uh, when Sharky did it. Thank God. I think yeah, Sharky only scored a goal here and there. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, good thing he wasn't a goal scorer. Uh, <laughs> But uh, like I said, Sharky's uh, Sharky's a colorful dude, man. He, uh, you know, he was uh, he did did some some did some good things and some uh, uh, fun stuff, just just like the moonwalk and the three amigos. And uh, you know, like I, I know in my time, uh, when he did it, nothing ever happened out of it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, obviously, uh, now that means something that. Either other teams respected uh, the shark, or I guess respected all of the toughness uh, wherever he played. Right? Yeah. Yep. So, but yeah, that was uh, that was fun times. I loved it when he scored and he did that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I I wish I could have been there to see Wendell's face. <laughs> oh that, my that gosh! Day. Yeah, he must that have... was I, that was the best man. He just oh. like, oh my gosh, what a wolf! What's he doing? Oh my god. So, uh, well, moving on to uh, when you turn pro. So there's uh, uh, three guys with um, during your time with Halifax and Quebec that you fought that had uh, Islanders ties. Um, you fought him twice when he was with Moncton, and you fought him once with the Florida Panthers. And again, it's probably similar to uh, what I brought up with Dean Chenault, where he's a physical defenseman, you're a physical forward. Uh, I guess you battled him uh, quite a bit. That's Dallas Eakins, uh, short-term Islander, but had a nice pro career, and he's actually uh, coaching now. So you remember battling Dallas? Uh, I, I do, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... I think it was just the one time in, uh, I remember, in Moncton. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, Dallas, again, same. Man, he, uh, same type of thing, man. He freaking played the game hard. He, he had a mean streak in him, you know, cross-check you, slash you. You know, he didn't care. And uh, Actually, I, I think it was in front of the net. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just... Uh, we're hacking and whacking each other, and uh, then we just dropped the gloves, and away we went at her. And uh, yeah, it was a good, uh, it was a good tilt. It was going toe to toe. So, um, and then, man, so and then I fought him with Florida. Yeah, you were with Washington. He was with Florida. Okay, huh? 
I don't remember that one. Yep. Too many concussions. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, another guy who I think goes under the radar here a little bit in terms of his toughness because uh, he played during sort of a you know the a lull. Uh, after the dynasty years, but a lot of times he found himself playing on a line with Pat LaFontaine, a uh, little undersized, but it would battle anybody. And uh, you fought him twice in the American League uh, after his time with the Islanders, and that's Alan Kerr. He was also with Moncton. Do you remember uh, playing against Alan Kerr? Gosh, um, vaguely. Yeah. Vaguely. Um, you know, I, uh, I guess I think for myself, I think, yeah. I think I try to fight everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, especially uh, those American League days with the, the Maritimes. You know, you're in Halifax. A lot of these guys show up on your card a bunch of times, like Moncton and Cape Breton and those guys. So uh, I think if people aren't familiar with the American League back then, with Halifax, you played your team, your divisional rivals a bunch of times. So it was only a matter of time before you hooked up with these guys. Yeah, for sure. I mm. mean... I think we were only like three hours from Moncton, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, but yeah, that was that was a big rivalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, same as Cape Breton too, but uh, uh, you know, it was uh, again Moncton uh, also had some very tough customers uh, uh, in the lineup way back when too. So, um, but I just uh, man, I I, I can't remember. Uh, uh, going at it with Kerr. Okay. Um, speaking of Cape Breton, um, someone who I'm going to bring up later, or I was going to bring up later with uh, with Portland, but I remember you telling me a story when you were, I believe, still with Halifax and he was with Cape Breton before you guys became teammates. You had a little bit of a run-in with the Colonel, Brian Kerr, and uh, do you remember that? Yeah, the Colonel. Uh, you know, and there's, uh, I think, yeah, I, I can't remember what what year it was. If it was the last year or uh, before I got traded from Quebec to to Washington, but anyway, I remember we were playing in uh, Halifax at uh, I believe it was the Metro Center back then, and uh, the Colonel was coming around the net with his head down, and I come the other way and timed it just uh, just right, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I kind of, I think I caught the the colonel with my chin on his lip because I think his teeth, bottom teeth, bridge went back and or through his lip, and I was cut. I had to have plastic surgery on my chin, and and he was kind of a, he was out. He was, you know, kind of a yard sale a bit uh, with gloves and stick and that, and um, you know. But then, and this is what's so great about the game is that. Uh, you know, he goes on, like I said, I can't remember if it was the last year, whatever. Well, it would, would have been my last year in Halifax. Yep. Cape Britain went uh, went on to win the Calder Cup that year. And then the Colonel signed with Washington and, you know, mostly played with uh, Portland Pirates. And uh, we went on uh, to win the Calder Cup that year as well. So he won back-to-back, uh, you know, Calder Cup championship, uh, championship. So... You know, again, uh, you know, we, we had Todd Nelson, Jason Woolley, and, uh, oh, God, who else did we have on the point back then? But but we had good character guys, too. Uh, I mean, 
Uh, and, and Colonel was one of them. He was one of our leaders. I mean, he's been there. Uh, he's been around. One just won a championship, and uh, you know, he was a big presence back back in the blue line, and and that's what we needed way back then. That along with the skill that we had, and you know, he knew his role and protected the front of the net, and and also, like I said, just a great leader in. Uh, in the room as well, you know, very, very composed and, uh, you know, just uh, always said the right thing. Is um, a guy like that, so you in Portland especially, uh, you had a mix of veterans, you had him, and you and, and Sharky, let's say, you were veterans at that point, but you were still young veterans. And a guy like the Colonel, uh, he's he's a, an older veteran at the time. He had already seen, you know, he was with the Islanders a year and a half. He had played with the Bruins. You know, in the heyday of the Bruins and the Canadians rivalry, well, I guess there really is no heyday. That rivalry is decades. But, you know, he had been through the Bruins and Canadians. He had been through the Islanders, Rangers, and he's got uh, a shit ton of NHL games. And now he finds himself down in Portland, uh, like you said, a veteran leader. But there's really at that point for, for guys like you and Sharky to have a guy like that, and not that you needed someone to watch your back, but have a veteran like that who's been through the wars how, how important is that? Was that for you guys? Well, it was it was uh, very important. I mean, like I said, that, there's your, you know, you, you got you know also Jim Matheson back there too, yeah. who, you know, uh, was very tough. But you know, like you said, you, I, I think you needed that right chemistry. You know, you can't just have all skill, and and, and you need that grit and toughness. And I tell you what, there there wasn't when Colonel was on the ice. I mean, there wasn't. Uh, too many scrums in front of our nest, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he he protected it very very well. I mean, that that's a big human being, yeah. you know, six mm-hmm. four, and like I said, he could you know he could still throw him back then, man. Yeah. Um, you know, I obviously with you know being, I guess, age is fine wine. You know, <laughs> uh, you know he didn't have to do it as like like he used to, right? Mm-hmm. So. But I mean, if, uh, if it was there, he definitely, uh, definitely obliged, and uh, you know, he just he he made everyone just a little more accountable uh, on and off the ice. And he was nasty. I mean, there are guys that do the job that go about it very businesslike when it when it has to be done, it has to be done. But uh, I remember Colonel, especially here with the Islanders, that guy played with an attitude, and and uh, he was very. I always say he was very provincial. His team was his team, and he'd do anything he'd have to do to protect them. But you know, like I said, I, I say it a lot about Mick Vakoda, where Mick Vakoda brought his WHL attitude to the NHL, and I thought the Colonel did the same thing. Well, I. Exactly. You know what? Uh, Colonel is a very uh, even keel guy, but I'll tell you what, you get him pissed off, man, he's got a fuck you attitude, man. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. he'll fucking, he'll chop your legs fucking underneath you. <laughs> you know? All right? I mean, and then, like you said, he'll, he'll give it to you with his stick, and then if you want to go, he'll give it to you with the fist, too, yep. you know? Yeah. But, yeah, the Colonel definitely, uh, he definitely played with that, uh, with that edge, and then I think that uh, you know that intimidation factor back then was huge. Yep, yep. You know, and uh, like I said, when he was on the ice, man, uh, those skilled guys didn't want to go to the net too often. Yeah. Uh, one guy that the colonel was a teammate with with the Islanders 
is a guy that you fought twice. You Unfortunately, your, your stints with Quebec weren't as long as either one of us would want them to be. But you played a game against uh, Vancouver. Uh, you ran into Gerald Diddick. Uh, what was it like fighting Gerald Diddick? He's another another tough defenseman, maybe underrated with the gloves off, but uh, you guys had some good battles. Yeah, well, it was, you know, you got to... Uh... You know, when I got traded to Quebec, my first camp, uh, you know, I blew out my shoulder and fractured my sternum. And so, uh, so I think I needed to, when I, I pretty much missed the whole year, uh, that year, I think I might've played 19 games. Uh, that happened like training camp and I didn't get back to a middle or maybe late, uh, late February. So, so anyway, I, 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 you know what, I, that year I got called up for one game, mm-hmm. and uh, we played, and then uh, they told me after the game, we're going to send you back because we don't want you around uh, this atmosphere, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this atmosphere, man, this is mm-hmm. what your team needs, is some excitement and some uh, character and all that, but anyway, mm-hmm. uh, that was that, I went back down to Halifax, and I think it uh, wasn't the... Uh, I uh, wasn't, because uh, I got, I was in Fort Wayne, but the year after, I think I'd got called up for four games, and uh, I remember, uh, again, kind of the same thing, you know, I like to, I like to look for the big hit, and uh, Gerald Diddick was coming around the net, too, uh, but he did kind of see me at the last second, and I, that's a, that's a train right there, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's a thick boy, um, you know, uh, I can't remember, whatever. I, I know I went down. I can't remember if he went down, but I got back up, and he kind of, I think, cross-checked me and turned around, and away we went at her. And then I think we then I think we went at her the same game. I believe so. I believe yeah. so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I think that one, I think that one was right, right, right in between the benches there. So, so yeah, no, like I said, I was just trying to, uh, you know, get some uh, some energy uh, in that team and, uh, try and make a statement, uh, that I belong there. Um, you know, but, uh, but again, I was only for a cup of coffee and, mm-hmm. and that was it. So, uh, speaking of, of fit boys, f- speaking of a guy whose fitness has always been a primary, uh, keeping fit, easy for me to say, but a guy who loved to exercise, a guy who loved to work out. And I, I probably still, is in better shape than most of the players playing today is a guy that was a teammate of yours with the Quebec organization, another former guest and someone I consider a friend. Uh, what are your recollections of playing with Brent Severin? Oh, good old Sevy. Actually, it was, uh, I got to, uh, I was watching the game, I think first round or something. And, uh, cause he's, cause he's, he's, was it broadcasting for Dallas? Now? Yes. He's working for, uh, yeah. I think the stars, uh, TV. Yeah, so I, I think when I was watching the first round, I got to see Sevy in between periods uh, watching that game. But, yeah, Sevy, uh, I remember when we first traded for him and he come to Saskatoon and freaking took off his shirt. We were like, holy shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that body's sick, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he had uh, had the old six-pack back then. Yeah, he was uh, he was a gym rat, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I tell you what, uh Sevy was uh, had unbelievable work ethic, and uh, it did. You know, again, he had that no care attitude too. That he's going to fight anybody, and 
you know, again, not uh, not the biggest guy, right? But uh, like I said, he he stood in there and he threw, and I, I think he I think he got better and better as his career went on as a fighter. Yeah. Uh, just because I think, you know, like I said back then, even though he was ripped, he was still kind of skinny, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, he. Uh, I think he finally grew into his body and put a little bit more uh, meat on, and and uh, like I said, he. Uh, I think I think he enjoyed that part of the game too, man. He was, like I said, he was a true warrior, and uh, he, like I said, it didn't matter, or he didn't care how big you were, man. But if something needed to be done, he was there for your teammate. And and with a guy like Sevy, and I'm going to say this, and I hope he's listening, and he, and he gets uh, embarrassed. Aside from the fact that he's always in the gym and he looks great, he's got that that square jaw and the hair. Like the hair is perfect. Like it's almost unfair that uh, that one single man should be that perfect. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, you might have, you might be onto something there, Joe. I'm telling you, well, he calls his hair the money maker. So. Uh, so uh, you know, but no, I I love him. I love him. He's and he's w- such a tremendous human being. And uh, I'm gonna make sure he listens to this, so uh, so he can get a chuckle out of that. But yeah, he's another guy that if I'm in a foxhole and he's beside me, I'm feeling pretty safe. Yeah, even though, even though he's a pretty boy, he uh, he'll <laughs> he'll go to war for you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, another guy you played with down there, uh, Scott Pearson. Uh, cousin of Jamie Rivers, I found that out. But uh, you remember playing with Scott Pearson? Ah, uh, yeah, in Halifax, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Scott, uh, you know, there's same thing. Now there's another guy who was absolutely a gym rat and uh, ripped and uh, could shoot the puck a ton. Uh, yeah, Scott. Uh, tell you what, Scott was, you know, he was a big boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a great shot. He could score, man. Um, and, and you know what? He had. Uh, I, I thought uh, I thought his work ethic was uh, was very very good uh, down in Halifax as well. A uh, first round pick, I believe. Yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I don't think he was there very long, right? No. So yeah, uh, that you know, with that work ethic and uh, his fitness and and his uh, I don't know, I that's what I remember. I remember his mm-hmm. shot, man. Yeah. Uh, the scoring ability, and I guess that you know that's why he was only maybe down there for a little bit to get. Mm-hmm seasoned or whatever or conditioned and uh didn't take him long to uh get back up uh one guy who who i think people will remember you playing with with washington uh is chris simon uh but you actually uh you were a teammate of his at halifax first so um i guess i would ask you if you could compare sort of i mean first of all he's always a monster but when he was with halifax he was tough he was probably a little bit raw and then compare the Chris Simon in Halifax to the Chris Simon that you played with in Washington. That was one of the best power forwards and one of the scariest human beings, uh, aside from the look, you know, it's a big man and it's just a scary human being. And you had the opportunity to see him as a youngster and then a little bit later as a veteran. So just talk a little bit about Chris Simon. Yeah, so I was actually, you know what, we were line mates uh, in Halifax. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, I don't know if Cy gets enough credit for his offensive uh, capabilities. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, uh, man, I could. I, I remember just dishing to Cy and he could score, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
he had a great knack uh, to put the puck in the net. Um, but then again, also we had that. Uh, well, he had the had the long flow, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think, especially in the minors, I think he really intimidated guys a lot more than. You know, uh, I don't think he had to fight as much in the minors mm-hmm. back when he first broke in because I think everyone knew him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, but he had that uh, he had that scary look to him, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, to get to play with him in Washington, uh, kind of in his prime, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've seen some, some fights of his up close, man, and uh, yikes. <laughs> uh, so I could, so I could take a punch, and so I could throw, man. Like he's he's hitting to hurt you. That and and he doesn't even have to try. I mean, the, the thing with with uh, Sai is that like he looks like he looks, and you can't you can't look like that unless you can back it up. And he's he was just a guy that I I mean I I've said it since he was I met him as a rookie with Quebec I interviewed him for a magazine that he used to write for and always always such a nice nice quiet guy uh always had time for you always uh was just just this really like a gentleman you know and the thing is like before he you know grew out the hair and had the the goatee and everything before he looked like the undertaker let's say he could walk down the block and he's just a big dude but when you talk to him he's like oh this guy could be a banker or whatever and then he you know he grew out his hair and he had the, the goatee and he's just this monster but he never lost that personality and I think maybe where some people would be intimidated, he's just the kind of guy where you get to know him. And he's just this like gentle guy that again is like just a, a guy you want on your side. And, and like you talk about people saw what he did with his gloves off, you know, and, and uh, I think it's kind of cool that the most uh, his high in goals for a season was 29 with Washington. And that's the same total that Bob Probert had his season high was 29 so he scored 29 goals Cy scored 29 goals and I remember uh when I when I was telling you I wrote for that magazine I remember being in the press box at the Coliseum years later when Cy was with the Capitals and I said you know if this guy gets the opportunity he could almost be a modern day Clark Gillies and I'm not saying he was as talented as Clark Gillies and he obviously fought a lot more than Clark Gillies but for Chris Simon at the time that he played and Clark Gillies at the time that he played you know they were similar in the fact that Clark Gillies could score two goals in any night and beat the shit out of you any night and I always felt Chris Simon was the same way and even though with the Islanders he he was uh, later in his career, the fact that he spent two seasons here, I just love the fact that on the back of Chris Simon's hockey card, it says New York Islanders. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you could, I guess you could kind of put the two words together, the gentle undertaker. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I mean, that's, uh, you know, like you said, he had those eyes, man, mm-hmm. he had those eyes. And, uh, uh, man, when, uh, when it's switched, uh, look out, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, Sai, as you said, man, what? Uh, I mean, you're you're not gonna get a a guy that uh, treats the fans. You know, he'll sign cards. He'll talk to you. He's just he's in a low 
a low tone mm-hmm. when he doesn't have the blades on, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, he's he's in his own little. I don't know. I'm not going to say fantasy world, but yeah, he's just uh, focused. You know, so focused and calm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like he his demeanor off the ice, man, is uh, you know, like I said, it's just uh, it kind of kind of relaxes you. Yeah, yeah. Just the way he talks, you know, because he's just, uh, you know, no, no kind of emotion off the ice. Mm-hmm. But, but again, I think with uh, most players, or 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 the guys who who like to fight, you know, uh, you you put a, I always say you put two two blades on me and I become a different breed, and I, and 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 I think that's the mentality that we had to make it. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's not uh, it's not a nice, pretty sport. It's 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 a warrior sport that, uh, yeah, you can go make some pretty plays and some pretty passes and score some pretty goals and and all that stuff. But when it comes down to it, man, uh, as I think you've seen in playoffs, like I thought that Tampa Bay and Florida series was absolute war. You know? I, I read about it. I didn't watch any of it. I can't watch anybody but the Islanders now. But I read the first uh, first game or two in that series is pretty, I guess, violent for, for today's standards, but not very violent compared to your era. But, yeah, for today, I guess it was pretty uh, pretty rough. And even the first series, the first couple of games here with uh, Tampa and the Islanders has been uh, has been pretty physical. So it's good to see. But again, like we can't really compare these games now to to your era because they're not even close. No, but but I but I, I think the hitting the hitting, especially that first game, I think mm-hmm. it was man. Like yeah, everybody was running everybody. Like everyone finished their checks. I mean, uh, you know, Joe, I, I know, and you know, I you hate to say it, the fighting. You know, mm-hmm. the fighting's been up this year, obviously, and I think that's part of maybe getting to play each other three or three times in a row. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I like I said, it, it was just good to see that hard-nosed, gritty hockey again. Um, man, like, I was like, I was on the edge of my seat. I was excited on that first game. Like, I'm like, wow, this is going to be a unbelievable series, uh, you know, after that first game. Yeah. But, you know, like I said, it's, uh, you know, yeah, it, it you know times have changed and uh, we all got to adjust and yeah. Uh, but it, but it's good to see that uh, that kind of hockey in playoffs and and the toughness too. Like I said, there's there's been some good tilts and uh, you know it's good to see. I, I mean, I always say uh, you know if you're standing in line for a beer and and someone scores, I can guarantee you you're not losing your spot to go run and see who scored. But yeah. if there's a fight, I can guarantee you. That lineup dwindles to go see who to go watch that fight. Oh, hundred percent, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, so, for those of you who may not know, Killer spent one year, a part of one year in Fort Wayne, and I wanted to, I wanted to say part of one year because the, this his stat line is pretty insane. You have fifty six games, twenty four points, four hundred fifty five penalty minutes, but not to be outdone in nineteen playoff games. 169 penalty minutes and five of those minutes that year you had a fight with someone who was an Islander for a short time played played uh, a good amount of time in Springfield uh, sort of under the radar 
but not to me. I'm, I'm a fan of his. I don't know if you remember. He was an Albany chopper at the time. For people who don't remember, there was a, a team in Albany before the River Rats. Uh, do you remember battling yeah. Vern Smith? Yeah, I do, man. Yeah. Vern Smith. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that was a very good year in Fort Wayne. Brings back a lot of good memories. Uh, uh, you know, I think we uh, think we got that uh, organization back on its feet after that uh, first year. Uh, or, or when the Frankies took it over, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, because uh, by the end of the year in playoffs, that, that place was a seller while we... It was welcome to the jungle where every time we come out to it and mm-hmm. uh and the jungle was rocking man um but yeah i remember uh yeah it was uh uh a very good fight uh with Vern. Uh, i think right it was at center ice i believe uh so yeah it was a, it was a good toe-to-toe fight and uh finally finally the linesman uh, got in to to break it up so we move on now. We're, we're going to your time with Washington. Um, one guy you fought while you were with Washington, you fought him here. Um, the fight you had with Paul Cruz at the time, that was at uh, Landover. And uh, you fought Steve Thomas here at the Coliseum. Uh, Steve Thomas, obviously a guy that I loved. Uh, to me, a power forward who never got enough credit because he could do everything. And he was, even though he was stocky, he was a thick guy. He was he was on the smaller side uh, height-wise, but it, he never played that way. Uh, you remember fighting Steve Thomas? I do, yeah. I, I agree with you there. Uh, I don't think Steve gets enough credit for for all that he did. Uh, like you said, he did everything. Uh, made plays, he scored, he, you know, sacrificed his body and, and and he fought too. Um, yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I remember that fight in uh, on Long Island. Uh, uh, and and you know, like I said, it was a good tilt. And mm-hmm. uh, I think I like to say I won because mm-hmm. I got a good picture of it. Yes, that's a great picture. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I got uh, you know, it's kind of got my hand cocked, and I don't. It's just it, what what a great picture it is. Yep. Maybe not for Steve, but I, I'm sure I've been on. I'm sure I'm on the other side of some uh, not so good photos as well. Because you know, when you stand in there and you take blows, I mean, there's going to be some pictures where it looks like hey, he's not doing so good. But mm-hmm. I, I, you know, his feet are like straight up in the air, and yep. I'm over him, my hands cocked, uh, ready to pound him. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, it was uh, you know, like I said, I. I for me, playing in Washington, obviously, uh, you know, as a long-time Islander fan, um, I used to love to go uh, to play at Nassau Coliseum, man. I mean, that's where a lot of my uh, childhood memories were. And it, it was it was so awesome to see, you know, obviously, the, you know, the Stanley Cup banners and but all the, you know, the great names up in the, in the Raptors as well, uh, Raptors as well. Mm-hmm. And but also, like I said, just to uh, play and be part of that history on that ice was uh, truly a dream come true for me. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, another guy that you fought again with Florida, probably along the same lines as uh, Dallas Eakins, uh, physical defenseman, played up and down in the minors in the NHL. Uh, he was with Florida at the time. Bob Halkidis. Do you remember fighting Bob? Ah. <sighs> 
goodness gracious. I was going to say, I thought you were going to say Paul lost, but. No, no, he was never an Islander. So. Never an Islander. Never huh. an Islander. You got to have I some, maybe, some affiliation maybe. here. Right. God, I can't remember uh, fighting Bob. I Obviously, I know the name and yeah. remember playing the game, so mm-hmm. I can't remember, remember fighting him. All right. Well, the next name I'm going to throw at you is someone you're definitely going to remember. And the funny thing is you got so many run-ins with this guy. But I actually think you only got fighting majors one time. But that's not for lack of trying on both your parts. And uh, you may not even know he was an Islander. He was an Islander for one game, played one year with the Chicago Wolves. But uh, your games against Danny Lacroix were always much must-watch television because you're both centers. You're both playing against each other. When he was with the Rangers, you drove John Davidson and Sam Rosen crazy. Uh, you fought him with when you were with Portland. He's with Providence. Uh, but like I said, you guys battled all the time. What are your memories playing against Danny Lacroix? Yeah, Danny, uh, uh, Danny, well, again, another, another big boy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, just, uh, man, it's the hard nose. I, I mean, he, well, I guess both of us, I mean, we would stick each other. We would slash each other. We would cross check each other, uh, hit each other every time, uh, we had a chance. And I think, uh, I don't, whenever we played in Providence, it seemed like they matched up, uh, uh, Peter Laviolette matched him up against our, my line, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, it was it was uh, it was kind of a dirty war, I think, <laughs> uh, back then. And uh, yeah, I think uh, finally uh, we dropped the gloves and uh, and we went at her. Um, but I, yeah, you know, same same as Danny again. You know, there's another character guy that. Uh, uh, played the game hard, uh, did everything right, and uh, um, you know, uh, again, I, I think just a, a guy with great character that uh, uh, played with that edge. And uh, like you said, it was uh, it was a good battle. It was a good war against each other. And uh, um, you know, like I said, it was uh, I believe a very very good tilt as well. Yep. Yep. Um... So two guys I want to ask you about that you were teammates with in Washington, um, old school to the core, old school dub guys. Uh, one guy played uh, significantly before the other, but uh, the the guy who came up later could have played in uh, in your time in the Western League. Uh, tell me what it's like to be teammates with Craig Berube and Brendan Witt. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, the Chiefs um... – Man, you, you're not going to get a better guy there as well. Um, you know, just uh, a great warrior, a uh, great guy in the locker room. Obviously, you've seen what he did, has done with St. Louis. I was so uh, so excited that uh, he won the Stanley Cup there uh, with uh, St. Louis. And, you know, what a story that was. Where They were so, so deep in the hole and to, I mean... To come back from that, and like I said, not only just make the playoffs, but to to win the whole damn thing—that's uh, that's a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, with Chief, we were line mates, and uh, uh, like I said, we hung out quite a bit. He would have us over for uh, uh, supper at his house, uh, you know, a lot of times, and uh, it, we just uh, we had a lot of fun. You know, we had a lot of fun. Uh, uh, but like I said, it was. Uh, 
uh, man, you, you, you can't ask for much more than a, a guy of Chiefs ca- uh, character and caliber uh, to have as your line mate or teammate, man. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, before we get to Brendan Witt, did you ever play? Did they ever? Did uh, Shoney ever send you out centering uh, Barubi and Simon? Well, I, I think I, I think we did a few times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, I, I think more was it, it, like you said. Shoney Shoney uh, switched lines up. I mean, it was more me and Chief and. Yeah. Uh, I think Shy a few times. I think Mike Eagles, uh, Pat Peak. Um, you know, so it was a little bit whatever. But I think me and me and Chief were more of, uh, I guess, uh, the. I'm not going to say glue to that line, but yep. we played the most together. I think, and uh, um, you know, like you said, it was. Uh, uh, you know, you you knew you had. Uh, well, God, not only Chief. Uh, to back up, but like you said, we'll get into Brendan Witt here next, but also Mike Eagles, Mark Tenorti. I mean, uh, we had guys to uh, to back it all up too. So, well, I think uh, I think when you were playing with Chief, I think a lot of the time Simon was up on the first line with uh, Peter Bondra. No, uh, yeah, yeah, I believe he was. I, uh, would there <laughs> would there be a bigger green light for you? Then you're you're just about to take a face off. You look over to one side and there's Craig Berube, and you look over to the other side and there's Chris Simon. Like, you, <laughs> is there a bigger green light for you to just go out and do whatever you want? Well, for sure, yeah, for sure, yeah. I mean, if you got those guys on on your uh, on your line, you might as well start something. And you can sit back <laughs> and watch them fight instead of <laughs> instead of getting into it, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, like I said, uh, yeah, two. Uh, I don't know, two. Two heavyweights that uh, uh, you know they, they knew their role, they loved their role, and uh, uh, you know it, it was just uh, it was an honor to play with uh, you know not only both of those guys but also with Winter too, being being a Saskatchewan boy as well. Uh, and the thing with with uh, with Brendan, you know, he was a hard nosed guy. You know, again, first round pick, hard nosed guy, and I think with a lot of times guys like guys like that. They sort of, as they progress and as they get older, uh, maybe they don't play as tough anymore, you know, the body wear and tear. But, you know, the reality is w- during Brendan's time here with the Islanders, I mean, he epitomized the word warrior. That guy, I mean, he even uh, he got hit by an SUV in, in Philadelphia before a game, and I think the SUV took more of the damage than uh, than Brendan. So, I mean, this is a guy that played the same way his whole career. Absolute warrior when he was here with the Islanders. Uh, you know, there's some really good pictures of him, at, you know, bleeding and everything. And just heart and soul, blood and guts type guy. And you got to see him as a kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, Witter. Uh, man, I, I, I remember Witter fighting sometimes, man. And it was just standing in and throwing toe-to-toe. Um, but also, you know, Besides the the, the the toughness of Witter, there was that uh, you know that other toughness too, where he would block so many shots and uh, you know take care of the front of the net. Um, you know those those all those little tangibles too that uh, made him even more tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Witter was a great teammate. Uh, uh, like I said, it was uh, it was exciting for when when he dropped the gloves, man. It was exciting because you know, like he he could stand, like he could take punches, man. Yeah, and uh, stand in there and just and just give her, uh, taking and giving, you know. 
Mm-hmm. So, um, you mentioned him already. He's the current coach of the Islanders. He was your coach in Portland. And I think what maybe people don't realize is uh, the year that you guys won the Calder Cup, that was only Barry Trott's second year as a head coach. He, I think he started the year before when uh, Washington had the team in Baltimore. So that was his first year, I think, as a, as a head coach. Second year with uh, with the organization, which was the first year in Portland. You guys go on to win the Calder Cup. Um, Islanders have had some good coaches over the years, but I, I think uh, I don't think anyone would argue with me if I said Barry Trotz is probably the second best head coach in the history of this organization. And I don't know if he ever if he's ever going to catch Al, but uh, what was it like playing for Barry Trotz? You know what, Barry was. Uh... You know, a very good coach. Uh, he was detailed. Uh, he motivated the guys very good. And, uh, you know, he kind of, he would call just, you know, before the season there when he called me and Sharky in, I remember. And he just says, you know what, you guys, I, I want you to do your thing, but let's, you know, still be disciplined. And, and uh, you know, let's, you, you guys know what to do, mm-hmm. you know, he said. So, you know. Uh, go do it, man. Uh, we, you know, we want to build something here, and uh, we want to get the bring the fans back. And uh, you know, in that year alone, man, like uh, I guess it was Godfrey Wood in the front office, along with the staff there. Uh, man, we did every crazy promo there was. You know, uh, we had the ship come down before we went out. Uh, you know, sparkling and everything. And then, you know, you had misconduct and you had, we had two twins called double minors, uh, you know, as well. I mean, everything that you could think of was thought of. And, and I tell you, well, I, I mean, it just showed, I mean, we were, we were selling out the place, uh, big time. I mean, we brought, uh, I think a very good brand of hockey back, uh, to Portland, um, and, and people were excited about it and, and obviously it stemmed to, uh, you know, uh, going on to win, uh, win the Calder cup there with, uh, with Trotsy. And, uh, like I said, very, very, uh, fair coach, uh, you know, kick you in the ass if you needed it. And, uh, you know, always kind of made sure everything was, uh, going good, not only on the ice, but off the ice. And, uh, you know, yeah, he was a coach that, uh, you know, really cared about you, and uh, you know, um, it, it, it was it was awesome to play for. Him. And uh, after a few seasons with Washington, you spent one more year in Portland, and you played for a guy that you mentioned already, one of your hockey heroes. Um, what's it like going down playing for Brian Trotty as a head coach? Yeah, you know, obviously, I wasn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't. Uh... <laughs> you weren't happy to be there. No, I wasn't happy to be there. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, a little crazy. I, I mean, was there for, you know, three and a half years and, uh, um, fine. Like I, I didn't, it wasn't even to get an exhibition game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so finally I went in with one exhibition game left and, uh, I said, what's the, what's the deal here? You know, I, I mean, you guys signed me. Uh, I said, I'm not going to get to show my, my stuff. You know, so, uh, and then, uh, you know, I said, you signed me. I said, I could have signed in in St. Louis for a two-year deal, but you signed me for a one-year deal because um, I was a restricted free agent, and uh, so I'm not going to get a game. So, anyway, they give me a game. I mean, 
we go play in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, we play against the Flyers and uh, had a goal assist, and I took Lindros off for uh, eight minutes and four of them for power plays. And next day I got sent down to Portland. So, uh, so I guess I, you know, obviously wasn't in the plans with the new regime there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? Uh, uh, you know what? I, I, when I looked at uh, who was coaching there, I was, uh, you know, I said I wasn't happy, but I was excited to go play for uh, for for Brian. And uh, you know, I said uh, the body had taken uh, kind of its toll. I didn't have the best year. I had to riddle through some injuries and and that stuff but like i said i i learned a lot from uh from brian uh uh you know uh, obviously i think six times stanley cup and uh what he did in his career man was uh totally awesome so it was uh someone that i definitely listened to and looked up to obviously as a kid but but now as a player I, that that's what kind of motivated me to go back to portland was to play for uh brian crushy and and i think with a lot of I mean, elite players, let's call them legends in any sport. It's hard for them to, to coach because like when Wayne Gretzky's a coach, how does Wayne Gretzky teach you to do what he did? Because everything he did was next level God given stuff. And Brian Trotty is a, is a, a legend, but was, if you compare him and Barry, let's say uh, Barry Trotz wasn't the player that Brian Trotty was, but Barry Trotz, when he played, uh, he had to focus on the fundamentals, and that maybe that's why he's such a successful coach is because he had to focus on the fundamentals when he played to get the most out of it, where I'm, Brian Trotty did the same thing. But Brian Trotty was also blessed with a lot of skill. But a lot of times, like I said, with those those elite players, it doesn't translate well to coaching. Uh, but how was Brian as a coach? Was he pretty good? You know, he was uh, he was a little bit more lenient, mm-hmm. um, you know. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think I think Brian had uh, some different different ideas, and and uh, I, I think special teams he was better at. Mm-hmm. You know, just because obviously. Uh, you know, when you give the, you know, like you said, on the power play, he said, you always got to be moving. You always got to be moving, man. And uh, and he, he he showed us the one day, he says, here, this is what happens when you're going to move. And he went in and he was on the power play showing us. And I, I don't know, I think he had like that one little shift. He had a maybe goal and a couple assists just by moving the puck and moving, making making that uh, other team, their box, adjust to you, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so like I said, it, it was some different tangibles that uh, he brought that were, you know, maybe a little bit better than Trotsy, but uh, but I think you're right. I think Trotsy was a little bit better X and O's and mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of thing. But like I said, uh, uh, or as you said, Joe, I mean to uh, to learn from a legend. Uh, uh, like I said, I was I was I wasn't happy to be there, but I was ecstatic to play for uh, for Trots. Yeah, and. Uh... The following year, you move on to the IHL where you're captain of Las Vegas Thunder and you played for another legendary Islander from the glory years, uh, Bob Bourne. Uh, what was it like playing for Bob Bourne? Bobby was uh, was, was great to play for. Um, you know, he... Uh, kind of the same thing. I mean, uh, he, uh, he let us do let us do our thing. Um, you know, we... Uh, you know, we did the X's and O's. Um, uh, unfortunately, well, I, I don't know for myself. We just uh, 
uh, had a few few bad injuries that year. Yeah, including um, yourself. Including yourself. Yeah. You had a you had a a nearly catastrophic injury. If you want to tell people what happened there, that was one of the scariest things I've ever seen. Yeah, no, I was uh, I was in Vegas. We were playing, and uh, we were on the power play, and um, Peter Nedved was uh, he was holding out, and he was he was down playing for us in Vegas, and uh, I'd uh, give him a pass. He was playing the point, and I was coming through, going, give him a pass, and I was going through the net, and I kind of got cross-checked uh, by the weak side forward. And um, as I was going forward, as through the cross check, Peter took one of his twisted wristers, and I uh, was probably like 90 miles an hour, hit me dead on right on the upper cheekbone, and uh, shattered my whole right side of my face. Uh, you know, took uh, two plates, 12 screws, 140 stitches, and uh, inside and outside, and. Uh, and also, I lost a little bit of vision as well. Um, so yeah, so I mean, it was it was crazy. I was just telling this to someone the other day that uh, they were asking about it, and I said, "Yeah, when that uh, when that happened, I remember watching the replay, and I, the puck goes outside of the glass into the stands." Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I just remember. Um, I tell you what, uh, uh, I didn't get knocked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and all I remember was that uh, I remember every bump in the ambulance to the hospital absolutely freaking killed. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, like I said, they you know I'm on uh, on a bed in the in the lobby and uh, waiting for the plastic surgeon to come. And it's now it's like three hours. And finally, I said to the nurse, I said, Hey, I need to I need some fucking medicine, man. Three hours. I, I, I'm like I, I can stand a lot of pain. I'm, I'm a pain tolerant person, man. Yeah. I I love pain, but I said I need some effing medicine, man. I, I shoot me up now, man. I'm done. So oh my God. so yeah. So then finally, uh, put me in a room. The doctor came and said, "Well, we'll see you at seven in the morning. We'll get you squared away." And that was that. You know. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that one that one hurt a little. Yeah, a little. Uh, that year. The Vegas team that you played on that year was unbelievably tough. Uh, just to rattle off some of the names, uh, you got Brad Miller there. You got yourself. You got Sammy Hellenius. You got Andre Shrubko, Louis DeBrusque. Uh, another little guy that doesn't take a backward step, Peter Zerba. Uh, Keith McCambridge is there. You had Luch Nasato for a few games. I think you know where I'm going with this. One of your teammates that year, to me, uh, toughest guy on that team, uh, uh, someone I consider a brother and you battled against him over the years, but now you're his teammate. Tell me what it was like playing with Dean Ewan. Uh, do you know, man, you know, God, there's so many characters in this game, <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, yeah. Dino was, uh, I mean, he's, he was tough as they come, man. I mean, um, it was absolutely, uh, you know, there, there's a guy who, you know what? You can go do your thing because you know he's going to have your back. And uh, and I and there's not too many guys who uh, wanted to drop the mitts with uh, with Dino. Um, you know, just again his uh, his mentality towards the game, his work ethic, uh, obviously his toughness. As I said before, um, 
you know, and, and I'll tell you what, uh, he kind of had that look in his eye too, like, uh, uh, like Chris Simon too. Um, you know, he, he had that, uh, like he was, uh, he, he could, you know, if you didn't know him, he, he could be a scary dude, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, I think you can agree with me that, oh. uh, Joe, you know, so yeah. I mean, you, 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 you're, you're very good friends with, uh, with Dino and, and you know, him. you know, him a lot better than I do. You, yeah. You know, I got to play with him for, you know, you, you know, play with him for one year. But, um, you know, like you said, you, you know, again, there's another teammate that you're not going to find uh, tougher and, uh, uh, you know, a great teammate to everybody. And uh, and then he knows his role, you know. So, but yeah, like, I mean, he's, uh, he's a, he was a legit heavyweight, man, that uh, backed away from no one. And obviously what you know and I know, but some people may not know, is something that you and Dean have in common. You're both drafted in the 1987 draft, and they did not have a nameplate made up for either one of you for the draft board. So the photo that I love is the two of your names on the draft board written on tape with, like, black Sharpie. So you got all these nice printed names and then you see Kay Kaminsky and D. Ewan written in Sharpie, just taped up to the board. I mean, is there anything more classic than that? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I know it's uh, <laughs> it's it's crazy, you know. And and uh, I and Joe, I think you sent me the pictures. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, when uh, a lady from my hometown did my retirement photo. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just you know, I think it just adds to that little story that. You know, I was told I shouldn't go to the draft because I can. I still can't remember why I could only go in the first three rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I stayed home. I, I I was in Regina playing in a ball tournament and found out uh, driving back to the hotel after the game that I was drafted. And and uh, you know, uh, you sent me those pictures, mm-hmm. and I still have them somewhere in a box and. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at the retirement photo right now mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, yeah, it's, uh, you know, like I said, they had, a they had a big Sharpie, uh, <laughs> uh, cause they didn't have my, no one thought I was getting drafted. So they, and I guess with Dino too. So there you go. I didn't know, I didn't know that about <laughs> Dino either. So, uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, so it's, uh, so next thing you know, your, your name's on the board, which is, you know would have been awesome to be there but uh hey i got drafted and uh you know they had to make up a nameplate which i think uh you know just adds to that uh i guess it gives me a little more character i guess oh absolutely uh, and you I, know i highly encourage everybody to go back to my uh first episode with when i interviewed dean and he has a very good draft day story uh, needless to say, I don't think there's many people that have ever told Bill Torrey to fuck off, uh, which Dean did because he didn't think he was getting drafted, and he thought it was Mike McWilliam calling him to say that he was drafted. So he thought Mac was playing a prank on him, and um, Bill Torrey was actually the guy on the other end of the call. Dean told him to fuck off and hung up on him, and then he got a call from his his idol, Bobby Nystrom saying, Dean, this is Bobby Nystrom. You were drafted by the New York Islanders. And uh, D- 
Dean just said, "Oh my God!" But uh, Dean tells the story a lot better than I do. But uh, but oh, just that's, that's I, awesome. I, I mean, it's unbelievable, right? So, uh, right. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it just that draft day uh, picture is one of my favorites. So, and again, I'm, I, you, know, you know what you know what that is, Joe? What? That's hockey, man. Yeah. Oh. Hundred percent. Hundred. Oh yeah. You know those. Yeah, yeah. You know when you say you know they tell you you're not going to get drafted, like you don't. Like, you don't believe anybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you think it's one of your buddies pulling a prank. I mm-hmm. probably would have thought the same thing because my expectations were, hey, I'm going to play ball this weekend, man. I'm not, you know, I'm not, forget the draft or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to go win and play ball and have some fun. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, and, and like I said, it's just, it's, it's neat to see that, you know, like even when I heard it on the radio, I'm like, I was, I was like, they didn't just say my name, right? Like I was kind of in shock, you know, because because yeah. you're thinking you're not supposed to get drafted, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just uh, those stories are, oh man, they're 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 truly genuine and uh, and awesome to have as as the you know history and part of the game. Yeah. Um. So your last uh, last teams I'm going to ask you about, and uh, unfortunately uh, in 99-2000, you split the year with uh, Orlando and Providence, only five games with each of them. So I'm not even sure the people I'm going to ask you about you actually played with. Uh, but one name I want to ask you about with Orlando and Islander fans, and I mean strictly Islander fans may not know this name because he never played for the Islanders. He was actually never Islander property, but he did play a few games with Capital District. Uh, it's not uncommon common for uh, American League teams to call up guys from the East Coast League maybe for a weekend or a few games here or there. But and you may not even know this, that a young Barry Dreger played a few games with Capital District back in the day. Now, did you play with Barry in Orlando? Yes, I did play with Barry, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I didn't know he did play with yep. the, the Capital District. Oh, cool. Yep. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, Driggs is uh, you know you know another good character of the game, and uh, uh, you know I I got to play with his uh, I, I think his brother there a little bit uh, when I got called up with the Blades, okay. uh, but anyway, yeah, Barry uh, Barry was a tough customer. Um, you know he uh, he did what he had to do to uh, you know to make it to uh, the level he did. Mm-hmm. Uh- so. And then finally with Providence, now you were only there for five games, like I said, before you actually went to Orlando. Uh, when you're there for five games, can you really get a feel for uh, the type of coach Peter Laviolette is? Because obviously Islander fans know he was pretty successful here and you had him down there for uh, for a few games. Uh, can you get a feel for what kind of coach he was? Yeah, I thought, oh man, I thought I was going to have a very good uh, year under uh, Peter. Um you know, uh, going in there as, uh, uh, as, as a veteran, um, you know, we, yeah, it was crazy. We were, uh, we were, we started the season on the road. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and actually I, in practice, I can't remember some Tara Vinen or I don't know, some Travosky, I don't know, mm-hmm. some, some Russian in practice stuck his knee out and took my knee out. Ugh. So, uh, so I started on the shelf right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, uh, I think I played one game in Providence. Um, and, 
of course, you just get all moved in, uh, <laughs> then you get traded. Yep. Um, so I, you know, took off to Orlando and, uh, I think, uh, I think we were on the road. I met the team on the road. Um, and then on, uh, I think the last road trip or last game of the road trip, I, uh, oh, I have whatever my ribs, I, I, I call them barbecued ribs, but I, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I pulled some muscles in my ribs. So I was out again for a bit, um, until, uh, I think when was the last game? I can't remember. It might've been just after Christmas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't I, remember that, but I, I came back and, uh, so the very first game, um, guy was coming around the net with his head down and I was going for the big hit and he seen me and he jumped up and I caught his elbow right on my jaw. Jeez. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, the guys had to help me off. I guess I was, uh, trying to go off the ice, not even on the bench side. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of, uh my last concussion and uh you know what it was crazy because march 13th i had an appointment with the neurologist because i was going to him and i tried to keep coming back and every time i got blood pressure up or whatever uh headaches would just come on and i was you know i had uh noise um i had lights um it was just i you know my vision wasn't good I, i was like a bat i was uh, man, I would sleep during the day. I, I, like you said, the windows were shut, curtains were draped over, and uh, um, yeah. And then, like I said, uh, I had an appointment March 13th on my birthday, oh. and the doctor told me that's uh, if you want to remember your girls, hmm. you know, uh, yeah, you better retire. Yeah. So, so that was uh, that was that. Well, before you retired, I want to go back to Providence and ask you two more guys. Uh, one guy I think was definitely there because he started the year there and you started the year there, uh, Jeff Zare. You, you play with Jeff? Yep. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, actually, uh, i tell you what, Jersey. Uh, character. Man, character, character, <laughs> character. And, and, I, and, again, he could do it all. Mm-hmm. You know, we had uh, very good skills and uh, – Played played the game hard, man. Um, yeah, but like you know, like you said, uh, Jersey was uh, he was uh, full of piss and vinegar, and uh, always uh, jumping, joking around, and uh, that you know that's what I remember of him. You know, um, but yeah, full of character. And if people didn't listen to my interview with Jeff, he was a guest on the show. Uh, he's got a very good Chris Simon story and probably an even better Mike Milbury story. So I won't let the cat out of the bag, but uh, maybe people want to go back and listen to that. And then uh, the last name I want to ask you, I'm not sure if you guys overlapped there because you only played five games and he only played four. Did you and Eric Cairns cross paths in Providence at all? I, I don't think we did, no. Okay. okay. Um, and, and if we did, I think I got a little wiser and I didn't fight back that, that big a dude back in the day. Well, you would have been teammates. You would have been teammates because he, uh, that year in Providence, you played five. He was actually down there for four games too. Man, I, 
I, I don't think Eric started the season with us. He didn't. He didn't. That's why I wasn't sure if, if okay. you would have crossed paths. So that's why. Because even though you're listed at five games, you're obviously there longer than the first five games. So right. that's why I didn't know how long you were there. And obviously he's someone that you'd remember, um, you know, if you played with them. So, uh, so I figured yeah. I'd ask you that. So, yeah. uh, so after you retired, you went into coaching. And uh, one of your first gigs was being an assistant coach for the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks. And obviously, uh, people may or may not know, but that's uh, you were an assistant coach with Mike Babcock. So you and I both know that any success that Mike has had since then is solely due to you being his assistant. He obviously picked your brain, got all your smarts, and he went on to great things. Um, but there were three guys that played for the Mighty Ducks while you were there that I want to ask you about. Uh, there'll be familiar names to people uh, that are NHL fans. Uh, one of the guys is Dean Malcock. Yes. Yeah, actually, you know what? I got to see Dean a couple of years ago at uh, the SJHL Showcase. Um, uh, you know, I, I remember playing uh, playing against Dean with, uh, when I was in Portland. He was in Albany. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, again, just a good, honest, hard-nosed uh, defenseman. Um, you know, and when I got to coach coach him, I, I mean, I coached the D. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, uh, I mean, he was a veteran. Uh, you know, what he was, he was a great leader. Um, you know, even even as a, a leader and a, a veteran, uh, you know, he asked questions. Um, so, yeah, he was, he was, uh, it was an honor and pleasure to coach him. Um and like you said, he was uh, uh, not only, you know, like you said, he, he played the game the right way, but also he was uh, he was tough as they come to, man. He, he used to drop the gloves a lot. And I think what, uh, if people weren't around back then, obviously the American League has always had a strong presence in New England. And even though you guys, you were in Portland and you had a whole bunch of rivals and Albany wasn't in your division, it always seemed like, your games against Albany and especially I think it was a playoff series you had against them. Uh, I think the Calder cup year, your games against Albany were as violent as they came. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what it was, uh, you know, with those guys. Um, but yeah, they were, uh, you know, they, they had a bunch of toughness too, man. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I, you, you probably need to help me out, but they had Rockty and, yeah, they had Rukti, uh, Malcock, Reed Simpson was there for a bit. Um, uh, Bombardier, or well, you know who was kind of sneaky tough, and he wasn't a heavyweight, but that they had uh, not the big defenseman Bill Armstrong, but they had the forward Bill Armstrong, and he didn't shy away from it a lot. And uh, at times they had Oliwa down there. I mean, they had tough teams, and you had tough teams, and they were always violent games. Yeah, no, it was uh, you know it was it was one of those. Uh, I think every time we played each other, it was it was going to be a war, and uh, I, I don't know why we always seem to get ourselves up for that uh, for that rivalry, and uh, that just made the made hockey so much uh, uh, more intriguing and a lot more fun, man, and especially to play against uh, uh, you know a, a team that's uh, that you know you're going to have to again earn it, you know. Yep. Um... Another guy he coached down there, another short-term Islander, but had a, had a very good career, uh, Dave Roche. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, right. uh, a big, big, uh, big winger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he, uh, Dave was, 
Well, I, I tell you what, Dave had some some sweet hands too. Yeah. Um, you know, he could uh, could put the puck in the net, uh, but also, yeah, he. Uh, I, I I don't know. I can't remember where he was in his career with us, mm-hmm. but um, I I know he. Uh, I don't think he did as a, did it as much with us, but right. Um, but when uh, what, what I remember when he did it, uh, you know, he he stood in there and he threw. And the last guy I want to ask you about was actually traded for Dave Roche. I know that uh, this is a guy. You know, when I think old school, I mean, you're one of the first guys that come to mind. This guy is another guy that, you know, when I think of the players, the type of player that I miss nowadays, it's players like yourself, like Dean, and like this guy, Jim Cummins. Now, I know that Jim was not happy to be down in Cincinnati. He he had played so many years in the NHL. He was with Anaheim. They sent him down to Cincinnati. And then eventually he gets traded to the Islanders for Dave Roche. But while you were with Jimmy down there, uh, I mean, you two old school guys, I mean, I'm sure you got along pretty well. Yeah, Jimmy was, uh, man, Jimmy was an awesome dude. You know, like you said, uh, you know, a a true professional, you know, you've been up there for those years and then you get sent down and uh, but I tell you what, Jimmy, even though, you know, you know, he's not happy and he's pissed off that he's down in the minors, you know what, uh, like I said, as a true professional man, he come in and did his job. He fought and uh, played hard and uh, was a leader to the younger guys. So, yeah, it was, uh, I, I really enjoyed working with, uh, with Jimmy and um, uh, like I said, just a true professional and, uh, like you said, just uh, and a true professional and a true warrior. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Killer, the cool thing is uh, when I was making up this list of names to talk to you, uh, and since you're the first one that I've done this with, I honestly had no idea uh, how long this would be uh, because ultimately, like I tell everybody, it's really uh, up to the guest. If I give you a name and you say uh, three or four word answer, then the interview is going to be 20 minutes and not very entertaining, but we're almost two hours in. I don't even think I gave you a ton of names and you still you knocked it out of the park here. Uh, I'm so appreciative, appreciative of this. Uh, so I guess uh, for people that aren't following your career after retirement, uh, why don't you let the people know what you're doing now? Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, uh, after I, I said after I re, uh, retired due to concussions, I uh, said got my first coaching job in Cincinnati with Mike Babcock with the Anaheim and Detroit Red Wings farm system, and then I was I've been head coach ever since. I coached another twelve years pro in oh man uh, ECHL Central Hockey League uh, SPHL, and then. Uh, uh, this now, now I moved back after 27 years in the States, after I got traded to Washington, I moved back, uh, to Saskatchewan, uh, you know, to be, uh, closer to, uh, uh, you know, to my dad and, uh, to my fiance here, uh, in Saskatoon and this opportunity with the LaRange Ice Wolves and the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League came up and, uh, you know, it was kind of, uh, you know, I uh, said so I got the three daughters and, uh, you know, one's getting married in July. The other ones are third year teaching in Chicago and the other one going to their third year uh, college in Belmont and Nashville. And it was just, I, I felt it was time to come home. It was kind of full circle. And, 
Um, I'm loving it at La Ronge. Uh, we had uh, you know, a very successful year the first year, and we started off 4-1 the second year. Unfortunately, due to COVID, we got shut down. And, um, you know, now it's uh, now we've just been recruiting hard um, uh, to put another good team on the ice and getting ready for the up-and-coming season. So I believe this is my this will be my 22nd year of uh, coaching coming up. Oh, what an old fart you are. I can't believe it's been over 20 years that you're coaching. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, <laughs> try and get out of bed someday, Joe. <laughs> and I think uh, uh, Bill Chow, he's the commissioner, right, of uh, the SJ? Correct. Um, you, as of right now, uh, things are full speed ahead for a regular, uh, a complete regular season, uh, starting on time, and uh, everything as of now is a go for, uh, you know, just business as usual, Correct. Correct. Yeah, actually, mm-hmm. we're um, well. Next Thursday, we're heading up to Humboldt to uh, get our scheduling done. Nice. And uh, we're uh, the start date is um, you know August uh, or sorry September twenty fourth. Um, and I and I don't know if you heard Joe. I know you were on with Rod Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> the the CFL is going to be you know like I said. Yep. Uh, the new, the new Mosaic Stadium is yep. going to be full capacity, full go ahead here yes. uh, for for the game. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's I think that's over thirty thousand, right? So, yep. uh, I mean, our, our rinks hold be anywhere from twenty five hundred to you know, uh, I think ours is like fifteen hundred. So, yeah. there's no reason why uh, we can't have full capacity crowds again. I mean, that's that's the plan. I think. Uh, July 11th, uh, it's uh, Matt. Take the mask off, and we're uh, we're back to full uh, full steam ahead here. The living life is normal. Well, that's great. And just so everyone knows, uh, I'll throw in my prediction. I got uh, Saskatchewan winning the Grey Cup over Toronto. So uh, you heard it here first. I think Killer, you'll agree with me. Uh, Riders Grey Cup and. Uh, you're not the only coach. There's another former NHLer that has Islander ties coaching in the SJ with uh, Weyburn, correct? Yes, correct. With uh, with Richie Pilon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so don't uh, if your teams uh, if your teams happen to brawl it out, maybe you grab a hold of Richie. But you know, at both of your advanced ages, maybe just hold on there and chat a bit. Yeah, I think I think we'll stick with the chat. And actually, <laughs> we were uh, we had the coaches meetings up in Nippon a couple of weeks ago, and uh, man, Richie's looking in pretty good shape. So uh, we'll make sure we have the glass between us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's done real well for himself. He's uh, he's been sober now for a bit, and he's doing really well. So uh, I'm happy to hear that. And uh, so, Killer, this is uh, this has been unbelievable. I really appreciate your time. And uh, by the way, uh, for those of you who may not follow Killer on Facebook, don't bother with Twitter. I think he forgot his password, so he's not even on Twitter anymore. But uh, go on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Killer, talk about Killer, uh, your Killer gear line there. Talk about that. Yeah, I got the Killer hockey swag. Um, you know, uh, I, I make it up and uh, I give a part of the proceeds to uh, Love My Mind Mental Health. Uh, to a very good uh, friend and buddy of mine uh, here in Saskatoon who, um, you know, Darren Anderson, we call him Gobby. Uh, you know, he re- used to run one of the best bars in Saskatoon we all used to go to. But uh, but his brother, uh, you know, uh, 
lost his life uh, and he started this up and uh, you know just with my uh, my history with concussions and all that stuff uh, you know with the pandemic that's going on now with you know this COVID stuff mm-hmm. you know I think there's even a, a a bigger pandemic with the mental health issues and and uh, that 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 gets overlooked yep. uh, and I think we you know it's definitely something that uh you know, hits home to me because I've been through a lot of stuff, uh, you know, with my concussions and all that, uh, been in the dark, uh, you know, for a little bit. And, um, you know, so just trying to, uh, again, raise money and raise awareness for, uh, for love, my mind, um, mental health. And, and I, I think it's one of the coolest logos around and, um, you know, it's, uh, uh like I said, um, I, 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 I try and help out the kids uh, at hockey schools and uh, uh, whenever someone needs help, I I try and be there for them, um, uh, whether it's not hockey, whether it's just uh, life and life, uh, life issues. Um, But, uh, but yeah, like I said, it's, uh, it's a cool logo and it's part, like I said, it's, uh, we've raised some good money already for uh, love my mind. And then we keep planning on, uh, on to do so to uh, hopefully we can help out as many many people possible with uh, with the struggles of uh, mental health. And for for the Islander fans listening, I know what you're thinking. Well, Killer was a capital. The gear is probably red, white, and blue, and all this other stuff. And uh, while some of it is, I, he's got a line of hats, all different color combinations. There is a hat, red. Um, white back, blue front, and orange font. It is Islander colors. I know Rod Peterson wants it to be Edmonton Oiler colors, but we know better. Um, so there is a killer hockey hat in Islander colors, which I'm holding in my hand right now. I wore it on Rod's show. Uh, so definitely check out Killer on Facebook. Uh, there's links there for the gear. Uh, he'll answer any questions you have. You can order directly through him. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's always nice – you look handsome uh, wearing this killer gear and you get to help people all at the same time. So, uh, so, you know, I'm always pushing my stuff on here, but uh, you know, take a minute, check out killer on Facebook, check out his gear and, uh, and definitely, uh, you know, put an order in, even if it is just for the sweet killer hat with the Islander colors, I would highly recommend it. Uh, great looking hat. And uh, it makes me even more handsome, which is not an easy thing to do. So, uh, so killer buddy, this was great. Thank you again for the time, and um, man, I just thank you very much. I think I think the the players that are going to follow you uh, on the Talking Islander Enforcers uh, segments here, uh, you set the bar pretty high. So I appreciate that. Well, I'll tell you what, Joe, it's been a pleasure. Like I said, it, it, Joe, it's an honor uh, to be on uh, your podcast, but the Islanders podcast. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, I, like I said, I, I seen that stuff. You, you know. The, who's up next on uh, Coliseum Chronicles. And I was just like, man, I, I wish I could be on that. And, uh, and here it is. And then, and I'm telling you, you know, deep down in my heart, I'm, I'm, an, I'm still an Islanders fan and, uh, you know, always will be. And uh, obviously with, uh, you know, Trotsy and uh, Lane Lambert there, people that I know, uh, you know, it even gives me more, uh, uh, you know, part of it to bleed uh, blue and orange. Um, so, so 
So yeah, so I'm still an Islanders fan. So I'm going to say this on on air: Go Isles! <laughs> I love it. And you know, Killer, I have absolutely no pull with the Islanders, but uh, Lane Lambert's always one of the hot uh, coaching candidates. So I'm going to put it out there right now. I believe in putting out positive vibes. Uh, when Lane Lambert eventually leaves and becomes a head coach, which is something he's definitely earned. Uh, there might be an assistant coaching spot open. And uh, like I said, I have zero pull, but I wouldn't mind seeing you behind the bench with trots. That'll be the next phone call. If, uh, <laughs> if I see Lane, uh, Lane get the head job, that's for sure. <laughs> That'd be great, buddy. This was awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, you know, I wish you all the best and we'll talk soon. Sounds good, Joe. All Thank right. you. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. You too. All right. Bye now. Bye. Thanks again to the killer, Kevin Kaminsky, for his help and chatting with me on the debut episode of the sub-series, take a shot of makers, of Talking Isles Enforcers with. So thank you, Killer, and I hope you people enjoyed it. Uh, Next week, I don't know what I'm doing yet because, as I've said in previous episodes, I have, I know I owe you my Islanders all-time top 10, my uh, unquestioned, enforcer list the top 10 i think i was looking for a word there but i wasn't sure and i want to wait till this season is over and uh, i'm hoping that doesn't happen this week so um unfortunately if it does happen i will probably have that solo episode for you next weekend but i'm hoping it doesn't so i'm either going to do another seasons episode or i might bring episode two of the Talking Isles Enforcers with, because I should have another one recorded by then. So um, I got a lot of stuff, uh, you know, a lot of options, and we'll see what happens, but there will be an episode next week, barring any sort of catastrophe. So uh, I hope you people enjoyed this episode. Thank you again for listening, and everybody have a great week, and stay safe. (music) 